Welcome to the Motorsports in Focus podcast. I'm your host, David Santiago, joined by my co-host and producer, Joe McKinney. Hope you enjoy. All right, Joe, how are you doing? I'm okay. Good? Okay. Just okay? Yeah, just okay. Okay. Like, nothing, nothing special. It's not like I've done anything miraculous in the last couple of days. It's a normal day. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. It's no- normal week. I mean, we just recorded on Thursday. We're not too far off of our prior recording, so... Yeah, fair enough. It's, it's been okay since. That's good. How are you, David? Well, thanks for asking. I'm doing pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> Care to elaborate? Is it, no, is it pertinent for the podcast? No, not really. Oh. I'm doing pretty good, though. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Yeah, but I am excited to talk about the racing from this past weekend. T- two good races. Yeah, pretty interesting races. Yeah. Interesting for different reasons. Uh-huh. So... Let's talk about Indy first. Okay. What'd you think of the race overall? Uh, how blunt am I allowed to be? I don't care. Say whatever you want. Okay. It's your opinion. The track was poo. <laughs> like big time poo. That was going to be one of my questions. The racing uh-huh. was really good. Okay. Um, there was some very questionable maneuvers. There's a really bad penalty. Like which, really, which the, one? The one on Canapino for blocking. Yeah, that was a weird one. It, like moving left down the straight. <laughs> yeah, and even I, I don't remember who the announcer is for IndyCar. That was Townsend that okay. made the yeah. that made the and comment. he knows what he's like, talking about. He's like, Wait, oh, Townsend Bell's a very good driver. Yeah, he's just like that's the line there. Yeah. What, like, that yeah. made no sense. Yeah. Um. So. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's kind of what I got away f- with from the race. Uh, I miss desperately Belle Isle. Um, Interesting. But why is that? Because it's an awesome track. What's like? What What do you think this track was missing that Belle Isle has? Uh, space. Okay. Is, is the primary thing. This, this track was really tight. Incredibly narrow, and it was there was not a single corner that did not uh, measure outside of ninety degrees. So there might have been Literally. one that no, was that's... ninety point nine, yeah, and then another one that might have been ninety flat, but at no point did it exceed the the degree parameter of ninety, yeah, uh, which is stupid, Re- like really stupid. Uh, that, that's literally true. Like it was literally ninety degree turns. Yeah, like the whole thing. If you saw the track map, it's like a etch a sketch. Oh yeah. Yeah, a 12-year-old, not, not, that's too much credit, a three-year-old <laughs> with an Etch-a-Sketch is the individual that designed this track. Now, granted, you're in downtown Detroit. There's not a whole lot. I I know this. Have you s- been there? Like you that grew, area? Yeah, you have grew up yeah, in Michigan. I've to, yeah, I've been to Detroit. It was 45 okay. minutes from my home. Yeah. Okay. I, like, the idea of, of pulling in the Renaissance Center is really cool. Um, I guess, like, we'll just dive right into what the Grand Prix is. Um so, incorporating the Renaissance Center, which is that that like five pillar, the um, thing that had the Chevy logo on it. Yeah. So okay. you have one major beam, and then you have or one major building. I, they they seem like beams because they're just these big ovals, but one major uh, building, and then you have four around it, and then there's two offset. But it's the 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 Renaissance Center is is a really cool construction, right? So I understand it's iconic for Detroit. So I understand trying to incorporate that in the racetrack. Um, I think it was pretty poorly done. The The biggest issue is the Detroit River is right there. And it's a really beautiful piece of land. 
just for the U.S. in general to show off. It's it's literally the the it's the border between the United States and Canada. So halfway between oh, wow. Detroit River is Canada, and then the other half is obviously Michigan, therefore the United States. So the fact that they didn't use that at all which they kind of do with some of the overhead shots and stuff like that at Belle Isle, because Belle Isle is an island in the the Detroit River. It would be cool if they incorporated that, the fact that they didn't, and they just made it look like decrepit Detroit, <laughs> which is what it has been forever, I guess is fitting, but not right. Like, it's, it's, hmm. it's the wrong tact. And then the other thing is Detroit, as a city, has been pushing very, very, very hard to try and create this like mecca downtown type of center. So you have within one block Little Caesars Arena, which is where the Red Wings play, Comerica Park, which is where the Tigers play, and Ford Field, which is where the Lions play. Like consecutive buildings. The only one that's not on like actually touching each other is Little Caesars Arena, which is slightly off like it, it's kitty corner essentially to the to those two. Hmm. So the fact that you don't use that in some way, shape, or form in, like, that that whole metropolitan area that they're trying to, like, it's not, that's not outside of Detroit. It's literally, like, two or three streets down the road. It's not far at all. So why they didn't use that is interesting. But I liked, the weird thing is I really liked the terrain of the track. I liked a lot of the undulations. I liked some of the off-camper corners that they were taking. The bumps were fun. In some it sense, it's very it, bumpy. It's in well, I mean, you, something to be said about Michigan government. Um, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, the it like it, it is incredibly bumpy, but it's it it does add some character. And Belle Isle was incredibly bumpy as well. They yeah. always called it the the second the second bumpiest place they went to behind Sebring, which they went to for testing. Yeah. So, like it it is fitting that those two spots are particularly bumpy. I just. I don't feel like they chose the best piece of land because you can still use the Renaissance Center while using the other downtown stadiums to try and really like the whole point of moving it off of Belle Isle is to show Detroit, right? Like you're just trying to show that area off. So if that's the point, all you're doing is the Renaissance Center and some ugly ass barriers. Yeah. How far away are those centers? The buildings? Yeah. Like the, the stadiums? Yeah. Two blocks. Oh, really? Yeah, they're like right over there. Oh, wow. See, that makes see that makes me wonder why they just didn't make the track bigger. Well, yeah. Or it's just could've... been a really long straightaway. Maybe there's just no way to... I don't... The thing is, like, if you're... So all of those stadiums are... Joe Louis Arena used to be, which is where the Red Wings played for a very long period of time, uh, used to be right on the Detroit River. Uh, so if you were going to try and say, okay, we want to have a race with the Detroit River, but also the stadiums, then that's doable, right? Or the arenas. Now, all of the stadiums and arenas are offset by a couple of blocks from the Detroit River. So you need to make a decision whether or not you use the river or whether or not you use the arenas. And what they chose to do is use the Renaissance Center with no arenas and no river. So Fair. it's weird on a selection like I said, the terrain's cool. Like there was a lot of some of those big hills and drops and off camber corners. It, like it was not significantly off camber, but enough to where it upset the car. And you saw a lot of guys, especially what is the turn that like well double hairpin. 
where everybody was making the move, like double ninety. Oh yeah, yeah. The, was that three four? I think. So that was turn it? three. I don't know why because they got the green flag down the straightaway. Yeah. But the finish line was by the pits. Yeah. Which was two turns yeah. previous. Yeah. Very strange. Didn't understand that. I didn't either. But yeah, so th- that's that's what I thought I remembered was that the, that was three four. So. Like, that corner was pretty cool, and it created a lot of chaos. But outside of that, it's like the rest of the track was weird. I don't know. Yeah. What were your thoughts? I I got rambly because I know the area. So. I don't know. It was interesting because uh, it's interesting that, you know, you, you know the area and uh, what it's like there. But I thought it was actually a good street race, um, which we don't typically see. So that was kind of cool. Um, although I'm not sure if it was good because... We had all that action down in turn three before it was just a good race overall. Because it, was, it wasn't it was as crazy in the beginning of the race. It definitely got crazier toward the end. Yeah. yeah. Um, but the the final, like not giving away anything, the final like eight to ten laps was incredible. Yeah. Like, that was great racing. Yeah. No, I think, I think it was a great illustration of what IndyCar is good at, which is just drivers getting out there and racing with their elbows out, which yeah. the the uh, NBC or yeah NBC announcers always like to say. Yeah, um, Lee Diffie's keen on that. Yes, yes, that phrase. But I think he's absolutely right. And they, you know, we saw them bumping into each other, making moves. There were some really, really good moves. There were some dumb moves, but um, you know, overall, I just think it it illustrates what IndyCar is good at. They just go, "Here's the track." get out there and just race, Yeah, you know, and that's it. And I, I enjoyed it, and I enjoyed seeing them drive on a track that was challenging. And I even heard uh, in the interviews afterwards, Scott Dixon, he said, you know, it's challenging to drive. The car was a little bit challenging for him, and it's like, but it was exciting to watch because, you know, you saw them sliding everywhere. Uh, a lot of cars we saw washing out and pushing into the outside wall. Mm-hmm. Um I don't know it's if happened there's... Happened to Graham Rahal in particular, yeah. Yeah, like really experienced put, drivers. Put it straight in the barrier. Yeah, very surprising. Um, Grosjean, same thing happened yep. to him. So Pado, Pado. Yeah, we'll talk about the Pado thing later. Because <laughs> uh, he wa- washed... Yeah. <laughs> let's talk about He it. hit an outside wall. No, 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 let's talk about that now, actually. Okay. So, <laughs> I feel like we've seen a pattern of Pado Award just driving really aggressively. And sometimes it works out for him, sometimes it doesn't. Uh, the Indy 500 move was a bit up in the air, kind of a racing incident thing, but overly aggressive, you know, maybe didn't need to happen at that time. Uh, you know, think back to uh, Long Beach, you know, the move on Scott Dixon, basically elbowing Scott Dixon into the wall. And to me, it seemed like he tried something similar on Ferrucci, and Ferrucci was just, just dodged it, and he kind of drove straight into the wall. Like, I don't think he was making that. He obviously didn't make that corner because there was no contact. But it was interesting because it was the exact same move almost that he did to Dixon. And this time he just goes straight into the wall. Um, And so, I don't know. I just think it's been really interesting because I like the aggressive nature of IndyCar where guys just go for it. But I feel like we've seen a few times now where Pato just just goes too far. And this time he took himself out, basically. Is that how you see it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so um, that's the thing is, like, you say that we've seen it a couple of times in IndyCar. At what point in the season so far, you've watched every race, at what point in the season so far have you sat back and gone, man, this is a problem. All these drivers are doing this too much. 
I haven't. So it's good aggressive driving. Yeah, for sure. Pato Award does seem to be the most aggressive. He's yeah. the furthest on the spectrum of aggression. Um, I think the move was stupid. Wasn't going to work. Uh, it didn't work. He's also lapped or effectively lapped down at the time. Yes, which, so is, like, which was my next point. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so I actually get the move. I get the attempt because even in his interview, I, th- I thought his interview was pretty. Uh, um, it, it just it, it sort of summed up exactly what you were supposed to say. He did everything right in that interview by saying, look, I either try to make this move and I if it fails and I hit the wall, I'm out of the race or I'm stuck a lap down and therefore out of the race. So might as well give it a whirl. The fact that he didn't collect Santino Ferrucci is a good thing. Because, well, props to Ferrucci, because I think he saw it coming. Well, yeah, I would say so. And I think the nice, like, one of the benefits of Award being such a consistently aggressive driver is that all of the other drivers are starting to recognize that. And it's very easy for them to, to, to sit back and go, okay, I know what that car looks like. That one's going to be a problem. Yeah. So... I think some of these guys are going to figure this out pretty quickly on how to handle the situation. But yeah, I mean, overall, I, I I thought it was a pretty dumb move, but the only one penalized by it is him. Yeah, for sure. And so, I don't know. I, when I saw it, I just... But it is understandable, too. Like, that's the other thing. Is it, I Like, I get it. You're mm-hmm. try, you have to push. Yeah. Yeah, but I just think... It's like that classic Senna thing where... If you're a Senna fan, the whole thing about if there's a gap and you don't go for it, you're not a racing driver. You know that quote? Yeah. So it's like... I've watched one race before, yes. I know that <laughs> quote. Like, <laughs> so it's like, I get that. But there's like, if you're a fan of Senna, you think that's awesome, right? It's like, oh, he's just got that... that he's got hat. that drive. Exactly. To just always go for yeah. it. But then at the same time, like, you got to look at that from the perspective of, like, if you were a team owner or, like, the strategist, you're on the radio, and you're just like, hey, man, you're lapped down. Like, let's just bring the car home, see if we can get some points. Like, that's got to be what they're thinking at that point, you know, after that mishap in the pits. And, like, I would be kind of annoyed if you just you send it like it's the last lap of the Indy 500. There is a very clear dichotomy in this race. Between two very young drivers, both very good, Pat O'Warren and Colton Herta. Mm. Colton Herta did an unbelievably good job to get that car to finish in 11th. With, after the, with the, contact, the broken front wing, yeah. With the severely broken front wing in what somehow received a penalty from, um, oh shit, what's his name? Canapin? Not Canapin. Canap- Canapino? Canapino, thank yep. you. Uh, got the funny last name. <laughs> um, anyway, so from. Canapino, he like made what I thought was a pretty safe move over to just block off a pass from Colton Herta. Colton Herta ran into the back of him. Somehow Canapino gets a penalty. Don't I don't understand it. Don't agree with it. Yeah. But even then, Colton Herta understood and his team understood that there's no point in him pitting right now. This is a very very low arrow track. But you could tell the car was squirrely. It was not happy under braking. It was not happy trying to accelerate out of a corner. Like, corners were a problem for it. It just was unstable. And then once the wing broke off, it was even worse, or the yeah. rest of the wing broke off. Uh, but 
for him to do what he did and just simply get the vehicle across the finish line, whereas Pedal Award makes these ridiculous moves, crazy aggressive, and the car is now in a wall. So your whole team's got to spend the rest of the night trying to fix it, get it ready for the following race. Yeah. I mean, Colton Herta acted like a professional. Pedal Award acted like a cart a karting driver like yeah no disrespect to him he's still a very good driver but also let's stop being a child because this appears to be a a, a trend yeah I, I that's the thing for me it just seems to be a trend and i don't know i just it's like am i the only one seeing this you know i don't know no no i i guarantee i mean for scott dixon to even say what he said at long beach by just saying that he may need to reevaluate his his driving standards the, to get that out of that guy, yeah. <laughs> he is, and he's as quiet as they come. He doesn't really voice his opinion. He's very, very reserved. So for him to be frustrated with you as a driver, yeah, it's pretty hard to frustrate that guy. Yeah, you, you've lost. Yeah, like, you, you are the problem. I think you saw a lot of interviews from this race of the experienced drivers after the race where they were very level-headed, or even if there was an incident. You know, it was like, oh, yeah, there was an incident. Oh, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm sorry if that hurt his race or something, but, uh, you know, I was trying to do this, and it looks like they just got into me. On that point, props to Col- um, Col- Callum Eilat for saying, look, I just missed a breaking, and I'm, yeah. and I'm sorry to Kyle Kirkwood. Yeah. I didn't mean to drill him. Yeah, yeah that's another that's good example. Like very good credit to that guy. Yeah, there was a lot of that, and, you know, at the end of the race, we obviously had that uh, move. Uh, it was willpower and... Felix Rosenquist and Rossi. And yeah, well, that that Dick, was a weird one. Yeah, but Dix, Dixon ended up making contact with Will That's Power. That's right. It was Dixon and Will Power. Yeah. And then in the post-race, you know, Power was just like, oh, yeah. And they were, he was seeing it. I guess they have a little screen they can show it to him. And he was like, oh, yeah, I hope that, you know, didn't ruin his race or like whatever. Like, he just it wasn't a big deal. No, because you know, they were going for it. Yeah, exactly. It was it was one hundred percent a racing incident. Like yeah. if you're gonna if you're gonna put on the Formula One Formula One glasses, it's that's entirely on Dixon. Yeah, but if you're gonna just put on the racing driver glasses, which is what should normally be worn, yeah, you go. Those are two guys just trying to do everything they and, can to get in the win. And on those restarts, we had some hard racing. It was fantastic. I I don't well, know I how they, they made it through some of the. That you know you have turn three and then the right hander mm-hmm. that goes up that little yeah. hill. I don't know how they made it through there a couple times. Well, I, th- I think the the reason why you saw such hard racing is because these guys knew that once everybody started to file out, there's just no space. You can't you cannot make a move anywhere. Like you have three four to make a move and that's it. But isn't that interesting too though? Because on tracks, modern let's say Formula One tracks, where there's a thousand yards of runoff in an escape road on every single corner, I think you see a lot of people immediately choose that option and then go, I got pushed off the track. Whereas if you had like on a street circuit balls or if you have grass, all of a sudden there's like actual consequences to going off track and both drivers know that. Yeah. And so like no matter what, you got to deal with the consequences. We, so you either got to behave like there's no escape. Road. Look at look at some of the older tracks like Imola or, or Monza, even Zanvoort. We saw when it came back as well. There's there's not the same runoff. There's the there's grass like you're talking about. Right. And the guys understood, OK, there's a consequence to going off the track, but I also need to make this move type of thing where, like you said, when there's a bunch of runoff like Red Bull rings, always just the most generically boring race on the planet because there's 
3,000 feet of runoff before you hit the barrier. Yeah. And then nobody does anything. It's got great undulation. It's a cool design, but it's like, man, if that was a wall, if that was just an exterior wall, that would be a great corner. Yeah, because there's a you get to a point where you're a, a decision point in the corner of like, I'm either going to hit the wall or I'm going to have to back out of it. Yeah. And either the drivers both just send it and they go into the wall, which does happen. Yeah. You know? And, but, and guess I what? don't have a problem with that happening. Yeah. It's either. a consequence of a decision. It's 100%. Okay. Yes. Yeah. And so, and I think, um, I don't know. I, that was really interesting to see. And uh, I, I, I enjoyed the race, actually. I thought it was a really good street race. And uh, like I said, it exemplified everything that Indy is doing right in terms of open wheel racing, just letting them go at it. Yep. And, um, could you, I did have a moment in that race where I thought, man, like some proper hyper cars, like closed wheel, but fast as hell cars yeah. would be a blast on this track. Like we watched the, the IMSA. I don't, did you the catch Im- any of the IMSA race? IMSA had the pilot challenge. Did you see that was, big accident? Yeah. It was nutty. That was wild. Um, yeah, driving off the tire barrier casually. But uh, the part that I feel like everybody ignored just because the accident was so crazy is he came from miles yeah, behind yeah, no, on that was, move. Yeah, no, it was not. A, it was never going to work. Yeah. But, like, that's fine, but those cars are slow. Yeah. Like, it was a little bit boring, the actual I racing. want to see proper IndyCar speed cars with closed wheels go around that circuit. I want to see, like... The GTP class or what? No, what? What? Yeah, GTP. Yeah, GTP. Right? Like yeah, we had okay. at Long Beach. Yeah, yeah. Why? Why is that not there? I don't know. I think it would have been really they are cool. Just slamming into each other in my, IndyCar. So why not? Why not extend it to? Yeah, my guess is they literally probably looked at the track layout and they were like, "Yeah, we cannot do a multi-class race here. So it's just not going to happen." Yeah. And I guess it'd be really cool actually if they did small tracks like that or one-off sort of stuff where they only had the gtps well i also wonder i not to not to move on to an inevitable point but i guess it's a seamless transition okay i also wonder if in so indycar is a relatively small series and what they bring and all that type of stuff right like they they don't have to have this massive garage the way that all of the wec and the yeah, yeah, stuff yeah, does yeah would the double pit lane work I think so. Because I got to say, man. It was interesting. What's your opinion on it? I kind of like it. I fucking love it. Yeah. It, I, it is so cool. It actually makes a lot of sense, too. Um, especially because you have such a wide open pit lane. I don't think you could do it anywhere else because it's so wide. But the, it's an excellent use of space. And, like, there's so much room for everyone to funnel in that you don't have, like, these weird... In, like. You know when there's an incident, the yellow flag comes out and everybody goes down the pit lane? Yeah. And it's just an absolute zoo of people right. going down the pit lane. And you're just like, I don't know how people aren't getting run over. Yeah. I don't understand how they're just not crashing into each other. Where the double pit lane was, I just don't see that happening because there's so much room to just funnel in. And I think, if anything, what... It's, 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 it's like that particular track is extremely narrow to get into the pit lane. Yeah, and the pit out was not a great place. No, bad pit out. Yeah. I totally agree. But the the nice thing is like everybody comes in so slow and then just floods out yeah. to every direction. Yeah. And all that does is just create chaos. Like you have a caution all of a sudden everybody's like 
I have no idea which one of these guys is going to come out first. Whereas if you're watching like a standard pit lane, we've seen it enough times that you're going, all right, that guy got there first. Yeah, timing. Yeah, he's going to get out. Okay, yeah. he did. Yeah. But this one, you're like, yeah, they're that, just coming oh, that from guy everywhere. over there. Wait a minute, the guy over there. Like <laughs> you're just constantly looking around, and it's it like it's a really cool concept. I think it's awesome. Yeah, I'm not. It's one of those things though. I'm not sure I want them to incorporate it elsewhere because you almost love the idea of it being novel for one location. Like, yeah. Oh, it's that race that has the double pit. Yeah, I agree. But it, it's cool. I like it. And I, it works really well for a street circuit. I, I think it works really well too. It's a great it's a great solution to that problem. You and know, that incredibly thick border in the middle, that bl- big blue line that yeah, they yeah, put. Yeah. Very obvious to the fans like okay, there, there's no at no point like no one's ever looked at a football field and been like I wonder what they do here, yeah. right? Like you, you just understand it. So yeah. it immediately, you could just fly an overhead camera on that that double pit lane, and it would take you about three seconds to go. Oh, it's a double pit lane. They got they got it on both sides, and there's the divider. So they got it. Like it took me no time whatsoever to process. It. You're almost like immediately used to it. You're just like, okay, I know yeah. what's going on here. Hundred percent. Yeah. Like it, they they executed it as well as I think they possibly could have. Yeah. No, I think it was really cool. It's a really novel thing, and then, like you said, it worked really well. And like, I, I, I almost want it at other locations, but I love it being like unique to one spot as well. I don't know. Do you think they should return to this location for next year, or no. go back to Belle Isle? Yeah, Belle Isle. Really? Okay. It, it won't happen, uh, from what I understand. Like some of the the stuff I've heard that like they're trying to keep the cars off of that island. Oh, really? But yeah, they should 100% go back to Belle Isle. It's, Belle Isle is a better racetrack. Okay. They'd be like stuffing it in just a random corridor of Montreal, and they're going, would you prefer this, or do you want the Villeneuve circuit? And it's like, no, get, put us back on the island. That's better over there. Yeah. Like, you know, it, Fair it, enough. It, I, I liked it. I think I haven't... I like the racing. Yeah. I like as much as I like quote-unquote big cities i don't like big cities yeah I hate big city no. but as much as i like that one in particular i like that part but yeah just i would rather a better circuit okay fair enough i have to say props, but it wasn't bad yeah props to all the photographers there by the way because looking at that on looking at the scenes that you see on tv you wouldn't think there's a lot of photo ops there mm-hmm. i saw some fantastic pictures coming out there was, of that race there was a lot more undulation through that uh that area than yeah. what i remember traveling and mm-hmm. maybe it's just because you know you own a family sedan or a suv or something just like okay whatever you're just going over a hill but like watching them take some of these corners and really take some of this undulation it really provided a lot of perspective at least for nbc to do the coverage i don't know if the same thing translates necessarily to like still photo but for video it was quite good to get a lot yeah. of unique perspectives the stills that i saw were just like incorporating things that you know the best kind of photography it's not just pictures of the car in action it was more like incorporating totally different parts of the scenes reflections off the windows like the sun coming through two buildings and like creating like harsh shadow lines it was very impressive what uh, people were able to do there so now uh, now that we've talked about the IndyCar race, which 
I think we'll both agree was a pretty good street circuit race. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty interesting on its own. Yeah. Let's go to Formula One, where we had the Spanish Grand Prix at Catalonia. And uh, this year they ran the uh, without the chicane also. Did you notice that? No. Oh, I thought it was pretty cool. I didn't notice at all. You're talking about the one right before the final corner. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was a new uh, track layout. I didn't even think about it. Yeah, pretty cool. I mean, it it works better for Formula One. That chicane yeah. never made it. It's a really anyway. tight chicane, but it's unnecessarily tight. Like, what what are you doing? It works for MotoGP, but yeah. So that was nice to see. But we'll do it the same way we did the Indy race. What were your thoughts overall on the race? It was okay. Catalonia is always a bad race. Like, it's well, it's such a lovable track because it's so unique. Did you watch? Indy first, or did it F1? No, F1 first. Okay. So, after watching F1, and you get this, like... It, every weekend we where we have a F1 and Indy race, it's really interesting to, mm-hmm. like, compare the two. Yeah. So, you had F1, and then you had, like, excitement of Indy. How does this compare? Yeah, I mean, yet again, I think it was a... There, there, there does... F1 is... With the exception of Red Bull being relatively dominant again, I would say it's in almost its golden age. Really? Because I do feel like the racing overall is pretty good. There are a lot of times throughout the race where even if Red Bull is dominating, you're like, boy, there's a chance, man. Like, one mistake happened, something like it, whereas... They're not lapping ago, the field like exactly, they used to be. Yeah. Exactly. So it's it doesn't... Like, it's close-ish. So... It's one of the better Catalunias that I've watched in a while, but every time, like, I love the track. I mean, we used to, uh, growing up, we played Forza, and we were playing this that track all the time. It's a blast. It's a cool yep. track. It doesn't ever provide a good race. <laughs> like, ever. It's weird, because it should. It's a really it interesting should. track. It has a lot of different corners, so you'd think, like, there'd be enough variety where... You wouldn't have one platform. It's one platform. of the few non-Herman Tilka. Who? Her- Herman Tilker. Gesundheit. Yeah, it's the, it's the guy that makes all the, the F1 tracks. There's oh, like the one ones dude. the ones with all the runoff and everything. He's he's done like ninety percent of the the F1 tracks. Yeah. That are all the modern the ones, right? Yeah, yeah. I think it's one of the few that's not his. It's like that Monza Monaco. The old, the OG Zandvoort tracks. now, yeah. but yeah. yeah, it's it's one of the few that's not his. Um, it's it's one of those names that I've only ever heard with an English accent, and they say Tilka, and I'm like, is that an E R? Is it an A? Is it a E? Like, what's going? On? I, I've never, okay. All right. never read it. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> it's, my point is, it's one of the better tracks on the F1 calendar because we always complain about the fact that the tracks, like yes, Marina. What what are we doing? This is yeah. such a stupid track. It's, it's like, like a visually interesting track. Yeah. But, but like, at the track itself is just kind of wonky. Yeah. yeah. So you get Catalonia, and you're like, oh, this should be a good race. This is a fun track. Like, some good good chaos happening. The fact that we had seven different constructors in the top seven to start the race yeah. was really cool. I'm like, all right, here we go. This is going to be interesting. Isn't that always the vibe? Every yeah. F1 race, you're like, oh, here we go. Yeah. This is setting up to be a really good race. And then the green flag drops, and... You go. Oh. You, get, you get the same result. Look, yeah. it's Max winning. Yeah. 
And the, the thing is, like, so my I actually was talking to my dad about it because he had watched the race. I wasn't able to watch it live, so I had to watch a recording. And he said, I have a I have a proposition for you. Watch this race and tell me, is Max that fast or is Checo that slow or is it a combination of the two what's happening right and i came to the conclusion that it's about 85 percent that max 80 to 85 percent max is that fast and the other percentage is not that check was slow is that he got stuck in traffic with a lead car and that seems to be a theme at catalonia the cars that are not built for traffic can't do a damn thing there like mm. we watched hamilton all of a sudden get dumped back there it was a couple of it was like in the middle of his Mercedes reign. He he had like a seventh at Catalonia or something because he got stuck back there and could not make the pass. But the cars that were built to kind of battle around some of those corners, they do a pretty damn good job of it, especially like turn two. I guess you have like you, the right-handers turn one and then is that, that big, two, big, three long or sweeper? whatever. Yeah. yeah, I'm not even talking about the sweeper to the right. Oh, okay. I'm talking about prior to the sweeper. The okay. left-hander yeah, to yeah. set you yeah, up yeah. for that. Where everybody decides they want to make a pass. Yeah. It's like you just get stuck in that situation time after time. And if you can't make a move right there and then, then you're screwed. I will say Formula One always becomes formulaic. If that, I don't know if that's like a cringy play on words, but like. I think I get what you're saying, though. Like every race, you think there's going to be this mix of things that happens and unpredictability. And every time, exactly what should happen happens. And yeah. I don't know if that's a good thing. Even with weather. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, it's, it's. I think. But I even think the passing, all like you said, all the passing was pretty much in one spot. Yeah. And it's like, really? Can we not do anything well, anywhere else? You I know? think it. I think it's a good thing in the sense that it's exactly what we want out of that sport. Mm. Ultimately, like that series, that sport, that race, like the racing for Formula One. Should be the best. It, it what? Okay, Essentially, you're saying there's no margin for so, anything. So those, any there's a, there's a couple of. I have to make this point without stemming off in multiple locations because okay. it's one of those ones where it's very easy to do. The issue with Formula One is that they are so well engineered and so mathematically formulaic as you said like they figured out every last detail that at the end of the day there's only this corner this corner and this corner that you can make a pass yeah exactly on this car that car and that car and it's very very it, it's just it, it we're down to a science with it which is awesome because it is the leading engineering um motorsport on the planet the problem is that we're pretending to add these restrictions on this for no reason whatsoever. When in reality, what we should be doing is going, guys, just build whatever the hell you damn well please, the fastest thing you can possibly yeah. put on a racetrack, and then we'll figure it out from there. It's like they they have the constraints of an unrestricted series without the benefit of an unrestricted series. Yeah. They like like you said, the it's like the margins are so small. You know, and I, I guarantee you they figure this kind of stuff out every weekend. They know where the passing lane or the passing corners are going to be down. The, they'll be like, okay, you can pass here, you can pass here. You're not going to have the speed to pass here and this and that. Like, they've got that all figured out, and that's exactly what plays out in the race. There's just no 
I, like I do spontaneous wonder, stuff that really happens unless it's like someone's just out of place. I do know? wonder if it would behoove the sport, at least the entertainment of the sport, but not the actual quality of it, if the teams had less practices. Like, j- just straight up, you you don't know really what you're going into when it comes to qualifying and racing. I disagree. A lot of those, a lot of those tracks are old. Yeah, so they're gonna they're gonna have a whole bunch of data from previous years. But even like with some of these very very new cars and changes, like would it behoove the actual entertainment value for you to sit back and go, guys, we have no idea what the car is gonna do around here. I don't think so. I think they would just end up figuring out all everything they need to know in the sim. Um, and I I think it's in the cars. I think the cars are so good and i'm not saying that they're easy to drive but i'm saying that for these guys they are easy to drive and so Mm -hmm. i think if the cars were trickier on the limit then you would see more things happening because it's like it's like math at this point like the red bull is going to go around this corner this fast every single time and it's going to go this fast down the straight every single time because he's going to go through that corner like that every time get the same run and everything it's it's the difference between indycar and formula one right now is that when you're watching indycar you are roughly playing a game boy whereas when you're watching formula one you are roughly playing a calculator yeah and it's like but calculators can be exciting because you can hit eight zero zero eight and all of a sudden you get boop that's great but in reality, it's not as good as Mario Brothers on a Game Boy. Like, and this, like this, I, I just don't understand what Formula One's trying to do right now because they're sort of specky, but they're not specky. Yeah, you're either they, in or you're out with that. I think, yeah. in my opinion. But, but I think that, that that's that's a battle they're facing right now, and that's that's really what's happening at Catalonia, which was a re- like I said, a relatively decent Catalonia. I think they're doing, like, the sport is in very good hands right now. But even then, we're sitting back going, I, do you, were you more entertained by IndyCar or Formula One this oh, weekend? Oh, IndyCar, definitely. How about last weekend at Monaco and Indy? That was about the same. You should never have to think about that. Yeah. It should always be Formula One. Yeah. I. But, like, with an IndyCar, when they're sliding around, it's no big deal. They're all sliding. They're all fighting for grip, you know. And they'll we they'll slide on normal tracks. Long this weekend. Yeah. yeah, not just because of the it's a street circuit. They'll slide on like a straight up uh, yeah. road course, you yeah. know. And those cars are not as refined, obviously, because they're cheaper, which makes sense. And it's also sort of how any car is modeled, so it's not outrageously expensive, right? right? Which makes sense, and it's fair enough. But you know, you see these guys on the limit pushing over the limit, and over the limit in F1 is a disaster. Like, if somebody slid, like Max Verstappen slid on the exit of one of these turns, be like, that was a huge mistake. You know, whereas in IndyCar, you're just like, oh, wow, he's really pushing on the exit it's of that corner. a huge mistake or what's on the track. Yeah, yeah, what's wrong with the car or something. Yeah. You know, these cars are so good and they are so buttoned up that they just, they perform so consistently that it becomes just math you can just do the math right but that's what i'm saying is they're not they're not they're doing the wrong balance right now they have a balance like formula or, or at least let me interject really quickly at, at least the for the viewers we can't see as v- visually the performance gap like you mentioned before with perez and verstappen i can't as easily perceive 
that extra speed that Verstappen's getting out of that car. It looks the same if you were to watch Perez go through a corner and, and Max go through a corner. Whereas, like, when you watch a, a GT car go through a corner, you can see it moving around a little bit. It's right on the edge. It's sliding a little bit. Whereas with the F1 cars, you just it looks exactly the same between, like, first place and the Williams, yeah. you know? Yeah, well, it's what what it feels like is that the skill ceiling for Formula One has actually been reached right now. Mm. Is that the engineers are at the point where they're like, guys, we we can only do so much more. There's there's no challenge to these engineers, is what I'm getting at. It's like, and it's been that it's way. It's more in the rules, well, interpreting the rules, basically. Yeah. And it's been that way for a very long time. Is that the like nothing about these cars? There's no major innovation. There's no unique like. Everybody knows the name Adrian Newey, because he's the only guy doing something special right now. Could you tell me the aerodynamicist for any other team? No. Any other team? No. The only reason you can do that is because at the end of every single year we go, which team had the best arrow? Red Bull again. Because Adrian Newey is doing something special. We are at the peak of what these guys can develop within these regulations. So we're making the sport too easy for them to max it out. Like everybody's able to hit an, a 99 overall for any of you you guys that have played whatever sports game on on video, like for video games, right? Like you hit, oh, my player's a 99 overall. All of these teams have hit like with the exception of maybe like the back runners are at 92 or something like that. But at the end of the day, <laughs> they're still able to develop this ridiculously high level vehicle. And then they hit this gap or they hit the ceiling and it's like, okay, that car's just a little bit better than everybody else's. Even though they're both at 99, it's like that guy is 99.2. Whereas I think in IndyCar, Everybody anyway is already at 99 or 100. Like, it doesn't matter because it's relatively a spec series. And now you're just letting the drivers take over. Yeah. And I'm not saying that I, like, I'm not a proponent of spec series. I actually prefer to allow teams and whatnot to make changes to the vehicles. And IndyCar is not entirely spec, but Nears makes no difference as far as what we're talking about. I, I think Formula One would be better off just removing the ceiling that they've placed on the drivers and the teams and allowing them to just flourish because you may end up with one team winning the championship by a mile. Guess what's happening this year? One team is winning the championship <laughs> by a mile. Exactly. So what do you have to lose? I agree. I, I agree don't know. I, I, don't, I just don't understand the direction of the sport. Whereas IndyCar is just going for full entertainment value and it's like Every every single week I tune in, I go, wow, this is really good. This is fun to watch. And I've done that for now 20 years. <laughs> like Every weekend you tune in, and you're just like, God, these are good. This is good racing. Yeah. It's interesting because I think it's like we're trying to hold Formula One to this standard, but then at the same time, we don't even want it to play in that arena, if that makes sense. You know, we're like, hey, we won an exciting race with passing, and I even heard the uh, uh, on the because I was watching the highlights of the I don't know what broadcast it was. I assume it was like the UK podcast or broadcast, and you know the announcers are like, "Oh, who says you never see passing in Formula One? Look at all this passing!" And I always crack up when I hear announcers say that because it's like, 
Dude, you shouldn't even have to say that. The you fa- the never, fa- you're immediately on the defensive if you're saying exactly. that. Exactly. Terrible thing to say as an announcer. But also, like, it, it, I find it, like, weirdly patronizing. Because it's like, I, as a Formula One fan, I'm like, I, I don't care. I, I'm not sitting here with a clicky counter going one, two, oh, we're up to five passes. Yeah, I don't exactly. care. You know, I'm here to see who wins there's in the competition. A, there's, there's a very big difference between frequency of passing and great racing. Yeah, yeah. And and for whatever reason, people get this misconstrued regularly. It's like we everybody got super excited for the the uh, Yuki Sonoda and Zhouguan Yu race that occurred at the back of the pack, right? Yeah. Because it was actually some good racing. Like, there was some chaos happening back there. We were like, okay, this is cool. I can tune into this. Guess what we didn't pay attention to? The lead, because yeah. nobody gave a damn. Exactly. Because there's not racing happening up there. Yeah, racing is not passing, if that makes sense. I know that sounds really stupid to say, but passing, like Indy 500 is a perfect example. Would you say the passing for the lead, the lead changes constantly, is racing? It's like, not really. It's just like something that happens during right. the race. Like racing is like somebody's making a pass for the lead to hold on to the lead or take the lead. And, and I you wouldn't know? even say that it's, it, that it's exclusive to that either. I think there are pit decisions and strategy and whatnot that add yeah. to the race. It's very yeah. important. Like that's that's what a lot of people misconstrue about Formula One. Like people that are critics or skeptics of Formula One, they go, well, there was two lead changes that whole race. It's like, you don't understand, man. You're missing yeah. out. Like it was a fantastic race because at the end of the day, we still buy two laps left in the race had legitimately no idea what might happen because that guy had the tires to make that decision there that's racing exactly what we want i I actually would pose the idea that formula one races are actually slightly too long because i think there's there's like a gap in the beginning of the race where nobody's really going for it because they're all on strategy and then they really don't go for it until the second half of the race. And there's part of me that wonders, like, what if you just condense the race? Not a lot, just like a little bit. Like, now I feel like they're typically around two hours. But like, what if you condensed it down to like an hour and a half? Do you think you would see things unfold quicker? Because it's like, for example, in endurance racing, you know, is the complete opposite side of the spectrum. Where you have, you know, racing for 24 hours, 12 hours. And you get good racing, but at the same time, you also understand that it's it's a long game, right? You're you're looking at the strategy. You're like, okay, well, you know, the two Toyotas are running one, two. They're controlling the, the, the pace. You know, like that's, I don't know about you, but that's interesting to me. I'm looking at it like, okay, the Porsches aren't too far behind. You know, they're in third and fourth right now. They're about a, a minute back. That's okay. They just need to hang there. Like I'm involved in that. Whereas Formula One, it's like the first 20 minutes of the race you could pretty much ignore and then just tune in 20 minutes later go all right where's everybody at and uh, what are they planning to do because they're all on strategy saving the tires fuel whatever it is versus actually racing so i agree with much of that um i think i agree almost entirely with the sentiment that you have whereas like most of the formula one race doesn't matter yeah I don't think the solution is down the right alley. Do you, do you I, think I, it's I in the strategy itself? I, I don't think shortening the... Because if you shorten the race, then they just figure out another way to change it, right? Like they, yeah, that's like true. All they, all they do is they just go, okay, then we run this tire, this tire setup. 
I actually think, and this is kind of like blasphemous for most Formula One fans, I think you need more variables. We used to have mm. fuel changes. I think that's an important thing. I think that adds a variable all of a sudden, especially in Formula One, that it doesn't add an IndyCar because almost never does fuel become a problem in IndyCar. They just top it off and they go around the track, right? But Formula One is, like we said, so precise that you can't just top it off. That's not a thing. It's like <laughs> we need this exact amount of fuel. And if they get that amount of fuel wrong, that creates chaos at the end of the race. These are mildly artificial. I understand. It's sort of the same element as DRS. I don't think it's as bad as DRS, but that's those variables, I think, are what makes racing really important. Like the people, the people that sit back and say, well, the only racing is the racing that's on track. It's like, no, dipshit. Yeah. It's a team for a reason. Yeah. Like, it, there are things that happen in the pit lane. So if you add pit lane variables, I'm good with that. I think that's an acceptable thing. And that's really what I feel like Formula One's missing right now. They've removed so many. Oh, oh we're, we're at 2.2 second, 1.9 second pit stops. It's like, so you, yeah, you got guys that go boop, boop, tires are on, and then they're gone. And yeah. it's, you, there's no variables anymore. Like, sure, there's no margin for error. That's the benefit of, of making everybody go extremely fast. Like a, a 3.6 second pit stop is like, oh, my goodness, that's the slowest thing ever. But the best thing about watching, like, every time I watch any car, I go, wow, that was a slow stop. And then, okay, that had no effect on his race at all, <laughs> which is a really, really nice thing to have because well, people can come back want, in IndyCar, too. 100%. Yeah, they can recover. And I really like the fact that all of a sudden we can sit back and go, yeah, that guy had a bad pit stop. But guess what? He's not out of the race because he's got this setup and that setup and he can make these moves. Whereas in Formula One, it's like you drop four tenths of a second on pit lane and you're screwed. You lost. Like it's the whole race is over. Yeah. Because there's no variables. There's nothing else happening. I don't I don't like artificial changes, if you will. Like I, I'm not exactly sure how to phrase what I'm saying or what I, what I intend to say, but essentially I don't I don't want fake racing. I want real racing still, but I think those variables are well within real racing. I would like to see some fuel changes. I would like to see some some more tire compound options. Why are there only three? What like what the hell are we doing? I get that the cost of logistics is, is is expensive to ship these tires, and they do it like a month and a half out. But if Red Bull is convinced that the soft, the hard, the the medium, and the super soft, whatever, yeah, super yeah. soft are, are what's going to work, and then Williams says, look, no, we think it's going to be the hard, the medium, and the softs. And Williams ends up getting it right, and Red Bull gets it wrong. That's also a part of racing because that's team strategy. Like we we focus so heavily on what happens on the track that we ignore what may have happened in the background that can affect on the track. Like we're, I think with Formula One, we're regularly missing the forest for the trees. I think all that's true, and. I know that was ranty. I'm sorry. No, it makes sense though, and it. 
I do think it puts Formula One in in a position where it's like, can you really have teams and cars that are this good and expect, you know, really exciting battles? Yes, you, know? you can. You absolutely can. But what you have to do is give those teams so many things to think about yes, that they it, need to sacrifice something for something else. Yeah. And right now, there's no sacrifice because there's 3,436 people working on Max Verstappen's car. <laughs> and it's like, okay, every single detail of that car is covered. Like, See, that's the sentiment I agree with, I think, because it's sort of along the lines of what I was saying about the cars. The cars need to be hard enough to drive that people start making mistakes. Like actual mistakes, little mistakes, but all the time. You know, if you're not on the edge making mistakes, then the car's on rails, and it really just comes down to like the fundamentals of braking and everything. And when we're talking about guys this good, like they're all gonna be really good. Uh, so they're all gonna be very similar. But when you talk about like, you know, the temperature that day, or there was a little bit of dust here, and you know, you throw in real life variables with a car that's also really hard to drive that's where i think you start to see you know either drivers separate themselves from others but also it gives people an opportunity like you cannot recover in formula one because the guy in front of you is not going to make a mistake right you know whereas in indycar it's like hey you know what he might be on a, a different strategy with fuel he might be on a different strategy with the tires you know, he may have caught, caught in traffic or had a moment or a battle or something, uh, made a mistake in that corner, sliding, whatever. You can make up time by driving as good as you possibly can, running like quality laps, basically. And F1, you just literally can't do that because even if you do, you're going to gain teeny amount. When was, you know? the, when was the last time you watched an IndyCar race and went, man, I hope there's rain? Never, because... I literally because legitimately that variable is irrelevant. Yeah, legitimately halfway through every single IndyCar race, I have no idea who's going to win. Yeah. And routinely we'll get halfway through I'm like, "Oh, so and so's got this. Look at the way he's driving." Yeah. Three quarters of the way through I'm like, "He's in 10th place now. I'm so confused." You know. Yeah. And then 10 laps to go, you're like, "The guy who was leading is now in 15th. I don't I have no idea what's happening." Yeah, but then you have Formula 1 where it's like, "Okay, it's decided after lap 3." Yeah. Verstappen, I think, did a Grand Slam this weekend where he led every single session, uh, qualified on pole, won the race, and got the fastest lap. Yeah. Just total domination. I'm actually more okay with that than I am with the hot garbage they regularly throw out where it's like, okay, this guy might have won practice, this guy won qualifying, and then what really happened when it came race time? Yeah, the people we expected to win won. Because, like... No one likes predictable, and Formula One has become predictable. Yeah. In the last 30 years? I mean, close to it. Yeah. But that's what I'm saying. You know, it's like if you look back and you think back now, to be fair. uh, Not that it wasn't predictable, but as I'm saying that, I'm sitting back thinking, okay, 30 years. No, that doesn't cover Senna and Prost, who won like every single race that ever existed. (laughs) But also, to be fair, that's what I was going to mention that. But then also building off that, you know, those cars were sliding around. They were so much more unlimited. Yeah, than they, they were now. way more interesting. Like we have exactly the same amount of predictability with way less limitations yeah. or with way more limitations. So the cars are boring and they're predictable. Exactly. Exactly. At least make them exciting. Yeah. Like, I, give me an explosion every At once least in a while. make them sound good for the love of God. Oh, yeah. 
I was okay with the whole turbo thing, but now I'm just over it. We need sound. I was literally never okay with the turbo thing. I hate it more than anything on the planet. I was okay with it. Give me V10s and V12s and go away. For the sake of speed and everything, but like, they have made the car so quiet and lame that it's like, why? Go full, like, I don't even, I can't think of it being a thing, but make it a V16. Like, I don't give a damn. Go bigger. I think V8 is the solution, I think. It is the solution that we need. Yeah, but I I love the idea of just shoving it in the face of what we've been going, like, the direction we've been heading. Like, no, screw you guys. We're going to go. Let's have a V24. Like, why? Yeah. Can you imagine, (laughs) like. Also, let's just not have restrictions. Well, yeah, that too. But sort of what I'm about to say. I think if we. I'm going to like contradict contradict myself because I know previously before they went to the big tires, I said they should go to the big tires. But I think if they gave these cars enough power to overcome whatever tires, big tires, little tires, whatever it is, to overcome the rears at any point if they get too hard on the throttle, that's where we need to be. I want to see them power over steering if they get a little bit too overzealous or someone's pressuring them, yeah, that's what I want to see. So I, I, I agree totally. Yeah, like that, yes. they need more power, and uh, I think the solution or less tire. Yeah, whatever. However, you want to balance that out, and you know, so they don't go well. I guess two hundred and seventy miles less an hour. Tire less arrow, right? Because yeah, what, what, however you want to balance it out, I want to see power oversteer on exit, and I think it'd be really cool if we went to a V eight. Where they used to be, I think, like 2.4 liters. I say go like 3 liters or more and just like make crazy power, you know, crazy revs, just awesome sound. So I agree with the sentiment. I disagree with the limitation. Just let them, like, if we're sitting back right now, Mercedes dominated the V6 Turbo Air. Yeah. We're still in it, but Mercedes is, is the dominating manufacturer. Mm-hmm. Let them run a V6 Turbo. Who dominated the V8 era? Red Bull. Let them run the. Let them run a V8. Whatever. Mm-hmm. Well, I Fer- think. Guess who ran the the V10 era? Sort of. Ferrari. Yeah. Guess who ran the V12 era? Ferrari. So it's like let go ahead and let these teams go. The, All right, we're gonna do. Yeah, we'll do a V12. What? Screw it. Why not? The bigger I think you allow them. So for example, if you say. You know what? Four liters is the max. I, yeah, that I'd be opens totally up. okay with a displacement limitation, yeah, yeah. but not a for, uh, formation dis, uh, limitation. Yeah, because that opens it up for like, okay, you know what? You actually could run a V12, and it like makes sense. Because right now they make the engines so small, and you saw this happen in the WEC as they tighten the restrictions. Everybody started running the exact same setup because yeah. there was only one solution to the problem. Right. You know, whereas if you open it up, it's like, okay, there's there's some, we can do some different things with this, you know? And that, I think, would be good for Formula One. Yeah, I mean, what was it? Porsche ran a flat four, and that was like the, the extent v- of V4. The, V4. Yeah. And that was the extent of the creativity. Yeah. and it, But that was, at least at the time that the 919 was introduced, you had the V4, you had Audi running, you know, I believe at the time it was the V6. Uh, yeah, it wasn't it, a V8 anymore, and it wasn't a diesel, which was. But also remember, they exciting. used to run the V10 diesel, yeah, and the V12 diesel, and all this stuff. And it's like uh, Toyota had the V8s. Could you and imagine then, a diesel in F1? Like, how cool would that be? It if would they be could cool. Make it work. Yeah, I agree. 
Especially if we're considering fuel stops and stuff like that. So all of a sudden yeah. now Williams is able to run like 60 laps and they were able to compete and everybody's like, dude, just they a straight figure this out. Like, <laughs> just a straight economy run. But that's the thing. You have to give them different avenues. How if you, cool would that be? If you tell everybody, it's like imagine a running race where uh, there's a road, dead straight road, and you say, okay, you have to stay on this road. It's dead straight. Person from here, uh, whoever crosses the line wins. The fastest runner is going to win, right? Which is fair enough. Makes sense. Like, everybody can conceptualize that. Now, if you said, if you were in a city and you said, okay, you start at this bridge and you finish at this bridge, those are the only rules. You have no idea who's going to win that race. Yeah. You know, and that's essentially what you do when you open up the regulations. It's like, you could, there's so many different avenues that you can go down. It becomes unpredictable in terms of what somebody's going to come up with. Especially if there's a fire. <laughs> on that note i'd like to go back to the moment that i think uh, was a good example with uh Sunoda when he pushed uh joe guang yu off the track supposedly do you remember this moment because he got a penalty there's for a it. lot of battling i don't remember the specific it was you're referring in to. i don't remember what turn it was essentially it was the moment the movie where he got a penalty i have to say after watching IndyCar and then that completely exemplifies Formula One and where it's at right now. Because for one, as soon as cars get close together, somebody just dives off into the runoff. There's no like, oh, I better back off or like even trying to prevent the situation in the first place. Just like, boom, dive off. There's no banging whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah. And then after that, Sonoda gets a penalty and you're just like, oh my God, (laughs) like we got these dudes actually battling. And it's just like, oh, he he pushed him off the track a little bit. Yeah. You know, and you're just like, Completely seriously? discourages racing. Yeah, exactly. It's yeah. like, I, and you guys wonder why you don't get any kind of battles because as soon as somebody even just boops somebody, it's like, boom, penalty. You know, it's ridiculous. Wait, are you trying to get me on an FIA rant again? No, I'm not. But okay. <laughs> just to just to compare and contrast, you know, where we had India and Detroit, there yeah. was wheel banging, there was cars on two wheels, Between there was all teammates. this. Yeah. And the only penalty that we got was that weird one with the Canapino where it was like, oh, blocking. Yeah. You're just like, what? <laughs> yeah. But, like, in terms of actual racing and rubbing and stuff happening, like, it was like, yeah, just go for it. And that happens every week. It happened at Barber. Yeah. I mean, like, on a proper racetrack. Exactly. It happens at Indy on an oval. Like, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. It, everywhere you go, it's the same thing with that series. They just, they slam into each other. And part of that is, like, that that is sort of the American rub, rubbing is racing type of attitude. That carries over to that series because at the end of the day, who's your owner? You still have Roger Penske, you have Graham Rahal, yeah. you have like, <laughs> or not Graham Rahal, but, but um, and then you know Formula One with the European attitude of just regulate absolutely everything and just throw the book at everything. No, they would never. Yeah, exactly. But I don't know. It's it's just interesting because like it just perfectly exemplifies everything about everything you need to know about F one in IndyCar just in these two races. Yeah. Very very interesting to me. Uh, I do want to note... Before we move on. Okay. Something I think that's important is the better track belonged to Formula One this weekend. Yeah. The better race belonged to IndyCar. Yeah. That's a problem. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Absolutely. Uh, The only thing I wanted to touch on was Mercedes. Double podium. They seem to be showing some pace. They made some upgrades to the car. They basically abandoned their side pod design that they entered uh, initially with the season, uh, this new season, and they have more 
of like what everybody else is using in terms of side pod design. And uh, they seem to uh, be gaining a, quite a bit of pace. No, so, so I have a theory. Okay. What happened is somebody at night snuck into both Mercedes and Aston Martin and they swapped deliveries. Really? Yep. That's all that happened. <laughs> That's kind of what happened, yeah. Because like Alonzo was lost, had yeah. like no pace whatsoever, couldn't do anything. Hamilton was flying, looked like old Hamilton, like wow, okay, this this guy actually does still know how to drive. Russell looked good. Yep. And Stroll actually for whatever reason did look better when the car was worse. Yeah, he was like, still there. I, yeah, I don't yeah. understand. <laughs> the, the guy is just destined to finish like tenth every time. Right? <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, definitely a bummer for Alonzo because especially after the Monaco finish and everything. But do you think you could tell he just wasn't happy in the car? It was not yeah. a comfortable situation for him. Yeah. Do you think these upgrades for Mercedes and the pace that they have now is enough to complicate the championship or is it a done deal? Complicate the championship as far as the constructors champion like are we talking about first or are we talking about complicating <clears throat> second, third, fourth? Like for the win, no, there's no chance. You think Red, it's, oh, Red Bull, Red Bull is done when locked they, up. Yeah, like Red Bull. Remember that moment when uh, the beginning, like the first race, and Red Bull put their car on the line, and then they started the race. Yeah, you think that, it was over? That's when they won. Okay, the whole season. Like, All right. it was. It didn't matter. Like, it, like it's it's one of those seasons where clearly there's one constructor that's going to win this. It's it. There's no questions asked. Um, and on top of that it does appear that there's one driver. You might as well just give Max the, the world championship at this point. This, yeah. this this season does appear to be a done deal. As far as second, third, fourth, yeah, that's sort of interesting. Like, I'm not entirely sure that Aston Martin's going to walk away with this. Lance Stroll is definitely the weak link there. Um, I think if you had a driver of the caliber of George Russell or... Signs or Leclerc, whoever you deem to be the second driver at Ferrari. Uh, Aston Martin does walk pretty clearly away with the number two position because they have the second best car as of right now. Mm-hmm. Um, unless Alonso is just a god amongst men and and uh, and Stroll is a, an average F1 driver, which I don't think that's the thing. I think what we're seeing is that Alonso's doing what he can and that Stroll is shitty. <laughs> like, like, I don't have anything else for it like that I think that's probably what we're seeing okay. so unless Aston Martin had a proper driver that could actually help Alonzo a little bit then this wouldn't be close but because they don't you have Alonzo competing against Mercedes and Ferrari for second place in the Constructors Championship and it's going to be exciting coming down the wire I think this mm. is going to be one of those seasons where we ignore first place and we and and that's one thing I do think that F one coverage actually does right. Just ignoring the main battle. Just completely ignore the lead driver. It's like okay, he he's won the race. Let's watch everything else that's going on. I think Formula One does a good job of that. It just sucks that that has to be done because <laughs> yeah, so often that shouldn't be a thing. And at least when you know we had Lewis and Nico, we were always trying to figure out: was it going to be Lewis? Is it Nico this race? It seems like I know Perez has done finished well, but it's never been like when they've had a straight up battle, 
Max seems to just walk away with it. Well, Perez isn't that good. I like Perez. I think he's a good driver. He's always been. What's what's the the, the thing that we've always attached to Perez? He manages his tires better than anybody else on the planet. He is the best driver when it comes to okay. I need to make these tires last, or I need to whatever it is. He is a tire manager. No tire manager is a world champion. Like, yeah, you are a world champion, and then a tire manager. Well, you need the pace. Yeah, and it seems like every time he, he's just never had it. Yeah, when it comes down to pace, Max is just by far and away ahead. What what Red Bull has right now is the best number one driver and the best number two driver. Yeah, that's true on the planet. It's probably a better situation than the Hamilton Nico situation because because that, you that had led two to... arguably viable number one drivers. Yeah, Perez is not a number one driver. Yeah, under any circumstance. Yeah, interesting. Okay, like if Max came to an immense illness and was out for like four weeks, I don't think Perez is leading the world championship. Well, put it this way, I think if. If you took Max out of the equation, I don't think Perez would win every race like Max is able right. to do. Right. You know, it'd be a, we would have an Alonso win. Yeah, I mean, so if you remove Verstappen, who do you think is leading the world championship right now? It might very well it, be Alonso. It might be, yeah. It's an interesting thought. I I think so. Somebody should take out Max. <laughs> <laughs> no, I like Max. Yeah. I, I actually like him as a world champion. I know a lot of people that complain about the fact that he's whiny and whatever. It's like I I think he's actually less whiny than most of the world champions that we've had in recent years. Oh, that's absolutely true. I think Hamilton is the most whiny, um, but I just, I'm not a fan of Max in the sense that. I think he is overly aggressive sometimes, but then when it gets dished out to him, he just can't handle it, which I I, I don't know why, but that really bugs me. I, And maybe it's the same thing that bugs me about Pato Award, is he's happy to take somebody out, but then the moment somebody races him hard, he's like on the radio, oh, yeah, you son, so push me off the yeah, track. It's, it's, like, it's, it's get the out same here. thing you said about the Senna attitude. That's yeah. all it comes down to. Yeah. yeah. He's, not, he goes full Senna. Yeah, yeah. Not a fan of that. But, uh, yeah, I don't but know. he's still. I I do think he's actually the best or second best driver on the grid. Like my dad and I oh, were absolutely. talking about, like taste wise. I, I I think I actually I think personally I would put Hamilton a half a tier below the two of them. Between Alonso and Max, I think those are pretty clearly the two best drivers on the grid. They've shown it with weak cars. We need to. I see... haven't seen Hamilton in a weak car be able to do anything valuable. What if, this would never happen, this is purely a hypothetical, but it's a really interesting hypothetical. Hypothetical where you have the F1 grid for one weekend goes and does IndyCar, and the IndyCar grid goes and does Formula 1. Wait, it, you're saying that's never going to happen? Never going to happen. Oh. Yeah. It would be really, really interesting to watch that IndyCar race with the entire F1 grid. I think what you would see is exactly what you would expect to see, and the F1 cars would be slamming into each other because that's what the IndyCar <laughs> drivers are known to do, and the F1 drivers and IndyCars would be dancing around each other because that's what they're known to do. Yeah. 
Like, it, it's a racing habit. I mean, you, you, you see it every time IndyCar or F1 drivers come into IndyCar. Like, Mac, uh, Marcus Erickson, uh, even when Rossi first, first came in, Grosjean in particular, they're all very avert to contact. They do. They have no interest in, or averse, rather, to contact. They They have no interest in trying to actually make a significant move because... God forbid they hit each other and then they're out of the race, which is all they were ever taught in Formula One. Yeah. Whereas all these guys that were taught in karting, it's like, yeah, bang doors. It's yeah. fine. And then you get up to these, like this series after going through whatever number of other open wheel series you go into in the American scene, it's always, yeah, bang, bang doors. Why not? Like, <laughs> yeah. you're going to figure it out. You get around like, okay, yeah, you make contact. We'll replace it. Suspension arm. So what? Yeah. Fair enough. I I think it'd be a really interesting race, and we. I'd want. I don't know. I'd love to see it because you get to see him in the spec car, and just see who's the fastest. No, no, like oh, yeah, so and so's in this car. That happened a couple of years ago between Formula One cars, where like they all drove the same car, and the slowest driver was like one tenth of a second slower than the than the world the current world champion or something. Really. Like, that's that's kind of amazing. See, they, I that's they, an interesting result. They're all stupid fast. Like yeah. every single one of them is world champion material. Hmm. The problem is none of them have the car underneath them except for one guy that just so happens to be the world champion. And that's then true. there is still it takes that guy like okay, Perez theoretically has a world champion car under him. But he doesn't have that world champion switch that Max has. Yeah, it's that, like okay, that one percent. Yeah, yeah. What do you think of the uh, the rumors of Hamilton to Ferrari? Supposedly, there's been talks, and I I, I think it's kind of funny because I don't know why Hamilton would go to Ferrari, especially because right now Mercedes seems to be gaining some pace back, and he knows Mercedes. He's worked with these guys for a while, and. Of all the places to go, Ferrari? Really? Ferrari's where champions go to die. <laughs> it's true. It's just, at least at the current era, that is absolutely true. It, it's ridiculous, man. And like that that whole sentiment is just all that is is a pipe dream for old Formula One fans. Now, the only shred of credibility I think it has is supposedly Ferrari has been trying to reshuffle and grab some of the really good people. Apparently last year, Christian Horner almost went to Ferrari. Almost. And he literally had to have a talk like before the deadline with I think it was Helmut Marco. I don't know about that, man. Like what? Th- those kind of rumors? Yeah. I don't buy those. I've watched enough really? sports, okay. I've heard right. enough rumors like yeah, it's a di- Oh, I almost signed with that team i i i i came close it's like how many times have oh i almost had you in that corner it's like no you didn't man you were three meters off yeah yeah it's true it's true but i think that would be the only way you could that would be the only way it would make sense for hamilton if there was a way for ferrari to set up some super team where you had like christian horner adrian Adrian Newey, newey yeah lewis hamilton um Who's that? James. Oh, damn, what's his name? You're talking about big, big time engineer that worked yeah. for Mercedes or worked for Ferrari then Mercedes or yeah, Mercedes yeah. and Ferrari. Anyway, 
like you get all of the best of the best in one yeah. team and they go we're giving this one year like let's go get it yeah but okay what's the likelihood of that happening like, it's are very you kidding? low it's very low but if there is any team to do it it's ferrari Ferrari has they that have, draw. They have the pole. Yeah, they yeah. could they could do it. But yeah, no, I I th- I think the whole rumor with with Hamilton, it's not gonna happen, man. Like it's just yeah. it's not a thing. I, I don't think so either. I don't think it makes sense right now unless they he's did have like the super 30, team. He's what 34, 35 years old. Yeah, he's like he's he's getting up in age. Most of these guys are done. He what he wants is an immediate guaranteed world championship. Ferrari does not provide that to him, at least not more so than Mercedes does right now. So why the hell would he leave? No, I agree. This they would have to have the super team. That's all it has to be. Yeah, yeah. But if they did, would be really cool. I'd like to see that. I would not because I don't like Hamilton. <laughs> Fair enough. Now we're going to transition off of Formula One. We promised two podcasts ago now that we would do our list of major races as in like majors sort of like golf majors quote unquote and uh i came up with i didn't put a limit on the total so like whatever your criteria was or you define you know we'll see what it comes out with i came out with five how many did you come up with majors yeah well i thought we were supposed to have 10 so i had well it was a maximum of 10 okay so i would prefer to cut it down okay We'll do that. We'll do it naturally. Okay. All right. So, uh, changing your topic now. We promised, I think, two podcasts ago that we were going to do our majors, our list of majors. Majors of motorsports. Exactly. You know, sort of like golf has its four majors. Um, so, we put the list together yep. this time around because we forgot last time. And uh, I'll start it off. Do you want to go from the lowest or the top? So how many do you have? I've got five. Okay. So I, what I can do is go with my top five okay. that I have. All right. Because I th- I thought you wanted ten. Yeah, I, I could have been clearer with so that. So I have ten, but I can go with my top five. What I think we should do is... Talk about the honorable mentions after? Uh, yes. Okay. And I think we can go with honorable mentions prior to number two because I'm... And again, I don't. I feel like we got a lot of the same ones. Anyway, oh, oh, for sure, for um, sure. My my point is, we should go in descending order at the same time. So five, five, okay. four, four, three, three. All right, I'm down with that. I'll lead it off. Okay. So at my number five spot. Yep. I've got the Isle of Man TT. Ah, interesting. Okay. So, uh, my criteria by the way, because I originally had like a bunch of stuff on here, and I was like, okay, I need to pare it down. This is supposed to be like the top of the top. Like, So how did you gauge this? Because the way I, I made my list is these are the most significant motorsport events every year. Not what are my favorites, not mm-hmm. what am I allegiant, you know, yep. like what's my brand allegiance to, like who am I favoring? It's what are the significant motorsport events. I don't necessarily mean like television viewers. Just what is the biggest deal? Yeah. So I made my criteria. It has to be still running in roughly the same format. So like, for example, uh, the Mila Milia, they still do that, but it's not really like, as you remember it, the original race, it's mm-hmm. like a road rally now. Yeah. It's so like that's out. Um, so it has to be still running in a competitive format, roughly similar to what it was. 
and then also it has to have a long history. And what I discovered was I added a bunch of stuff on the list that were like really cool races that I really liked and I thought were really important, but they didn't have the same scale uh, in terms of history that the top ones did. So I chopped them off. Okay. And ended up with five. So Isle of Man TT, been going on for a really long time. Yep. Uh, I want to say over 100 years. Incredibly significant race. Yep. Uh, I'm sorry if the, I'm wrong the about... The biggest bike race every year. Yeah, and just the most incredible. And I'm, I'm not... I should have double-checked the date on when it, what first was. I'm pretty sure it's over 100 years. Um, but just amazing race. Nothing like it. There's, like, literally... I think part of this list, too, is, like, there's no comparables. Like, it's just its own thing, or it's so significant that there is nothing else like it. There's a really cool graphic online somewhere, um, for those of you that don't understand the significance of the Isle Man TT. And it shows, like, every significant track you can come up with in your head, whether it's, like, Sebring, Road America, Nürburgring, whatever, all of these tracks. Just dwarf. The outlines. And they're placed on the inside of the Isle of Man TT. Yeah. I'm like, Nürburgring is 12, what, 13 miles, essentially, 12.9 miles or something like that. Mm-hmm. We figured out last... Yeah, depending on the configuration, yeah. yeah. It is like a tenth of the yeah. size of, of, of the Isle of Man TT. It is a massive track. Yeah, and it's just... And it's know, insane. Yeah, the speeds that those guys are doing, it's still dangerous. Stone walls. Yep. All Drivers over the place. scraping their helmets yep. going past the balls. Regular uh, deaths yep. year in and year out. Yeah. yeah. It's properly dangerous. You know, serious consequences to this race. So to me, that was my number five. And like I said, really long history, really significant race, nothing like it. Mm-hmm. And so that's why it made it to number five. Okay. And I think it was important actually to pare it down as much as possible. Because that elevates the significance of the races as well, because they're in a smaller club. Okay. So what was your number five? So I did have the Isle of Man TT on my top ten. Okay. I did not have it in my top five. Okay, interesting. I have the 12 Hours of Sebring as Uh, number five. Okay, all right. So I don't need to really go into an explanation as to what the 12 Hours are. Everybody understands what it is. It's an incredible race. It's incredibly significant, very historic, been going on for many, many years. Lots of the best, like pretty much every driver worth their salt has won it at, at some point. Yep. All the way up until what, like 2005 maybe when they started to really separate and Formula One drivers weren't regularly winning this race or involved or at all. So it it it's a big deal. Yeah, it's lost some significant over the significance over the years, but it's still, it's a big deal. No, oh, I think it's a big deal. And it's scraping big, into the top five. Big deal internationally, I think. I think it is. Yeah, yeah. You have people tuning in from all over the world. Well, and, and drivers join the series specifically to be able to race in that race. Yeah. Okay. All right. Fair enough. So that's my five. All right. Number four. It's gonna be Pikes Peak. Interesting. Yeah. So. I have actually recorded another podcast with Andrew Materko, my friend from Road Scholars, and he's actually at Pikes Peak right now uh, for testing, and he's going to be obviously covering the race as well, and we talked about what it takes to like shoot Pikes Peak and also just about Pikes Peak in general, so that podcast will come out 
before the actual race, sort of just to really highlight the race. And in the process of recording that and doing the research and learning about Pikes Peak, I'm a believer, and I think it fits my criteria of it's still running in the same format. The only difference is that uh, it's paved now, which you know just is a byproduct of running on essentially the park's road, which they decided to pave. And um, it has a rich history dating back, again, 100 years. So, which I think is really important uh, in terms of, like, something being significant enough to be a major. Uh, it has to have that kind of long, rich history. It, it's interesting that you weigh so heavily on the age. Uh, yeah. I don't disagree with it necessarily. If we were to fill out this uh, list based on races that I believe belong as majors but don't like it's just my opinion mm-hmm. type of majors then yep. yeah i would likely put pike's peak in there mm-hmm. i left it off of my top 10 really because it is not important to the average generic racing fan there are a ton of huge racing fans that have no mm. idea what the hell pike's peak is i yeah that so is that's true. why i don't think it's a major event it's a major motorsport event for people that know about it. It is not a major like it's it's along the same I look at Pikes Peak almost the same way I look at Goodwood. Yeah. I see what you're saying. It's incredibly novel. Yeah. And incredibly cool and incredibly valuable to the people that know what it is. And the people that don't know what it is have no idea what the hell it is. And yeah. it's and that's a problem for it to be a major. See, I disagree. It's, it's, it's almost like I, I kind of look at it as like the the players championship, right? It always wants to be a major. It's got this unique thing. It's yeah. got this one special thing. Like we're climbing up a mountain. We have this island green. Are you really a major? No. See, I disagree only because of the race itself and what it is. And I also disregarded sort of the fans in general and sort of viewership and that kind of thing. And I just went for the significance of the race itself, in which I think, because I had, you know, stuff like the 12 Hours of Sebring and all this other stuff, 24 Hours of Daytona on my list. And I actually had those above it. And then when I started, like, really analyzing which one is more significant, I basically decided, I was like, you know what, 12 Hours of Sebring, like, is cool, it has a rich history and everything, but it doesn't have the same... It's a race in Florida, and it, it goes back to the 1940s. Again, rich history and everything, but it's not the same as literally climbing a mountain and the difficulty and the significance that is, like, the challenges that come with Pikes Peak. To me, it was similar to the Isle of Man TT. Obviously, I think the Isle of Man TT gets way better coverage each year in terms of viewership and stuff. But I think just the challenge of it and the significance of the challenge do you know that, who the most decorated winner of the Pikes Peak is? Not offhand, no. I mean, do you know who some of just some of the most decorated winners of of Sebring are? Yeah, I mean, I don't know people. I know teams, like Porsche, obviously. Yeah, I, I understand, but you could you could rip off several names mm-hmm. from Sebring. Whereas when you go to Pikes Peak, it's like okay that car 
won that event that one year and ran a really good run, right? But there's no legacy. Like, my problem with Pikes Peak, my problem with Goodwood, same thing, Mm -hmm. is that at the end of the day, no one really cares that you won. The event is really cool. The accomplishment is incredible, and it's very big deal. But what's your what what's the end goal? Get the hell up the mountain as fast as you can. Is there a immense glory and celebration and big deal for winning Pikes Peak? Not the same there is for Sebring. That's why I I knocked it down and 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 like. You go through it like if I told you my six, seven, eight, nine, ten, you would go, yeah. It's it's also not the same glory as any of those either. Fair enough. So what's your number four then? So my number four is actually the Rolex Twenty Four. Okay. Um, I know back to back. I I had I had Sebring in in uh I, the Twenty Four. I went like back and forth with them. I, so the only reason I have the Rolex Twenty Four higher than Sebring is because it's a longer event. Same. It's yeah. it's it's That's just it's a bigger now. deal to win it as as ridiculous as Sebring is, to, and as I think Sebring's a cooler is, race, hundred yeah. percent. And I, and I, and if you ask me which one I would rather go to, which one I would rather watch, whatever I like, I always ten out of time, ten out of ten times I want to watch Sebring. It's a better race. I I just it's a cooler track. I get it. But when it comes to to proper nostalgia, proper. Uh, just the the whole ambiance around this significant event happening. It's Rolex. Like the twenty four hour has figured it out. Daytona is a big deal. It's a big time track. They host a huge audience every single year. Sebring cannot compare to that audience. They've got a they've got a unique it's a different audience. But yeah, yeah. But like I, I'm just saying, quantity in general. Like you have two hundred fifty thousand people. Filling the stands for At the Rolex for Rolex. I mean, really? they may not have, they may not sell out necessarily every year, but they are filling those stands. You can seat two hundred fifty thousand at at Daytona. I don't think they fill the stands. They're getting close. They're getting clo- they're getting much closer than they are at Sebring. What do they have? Like three, four grandstands max, and then you got people walking around the track. Yeah, but there's a lot more people, I think, yes, in the but- infield at Sebring. That are watching the race, that yeah. are involved in the racing. No, yeah. they're there for the party. Yeah, but people's people in the infield. Daytona has the same thing. Yeah, but you could have people's people. That's what I'm saying is you could have people's people yeah, in yeah. Daytona. Yeah, yeah. Like, this, this, is, this is a pedantic part of it, by the it, way. It, it, continue. It is. My my point is the, the just the historic nature of the Rolex. It's like it, I, I would imagine I, I have no factual basis behind this, so take this as you will. But I would imagine if you ask most of the drivers what which race they would prefer to win, it it does come down to the Rolex. They want they want that twenty four hour victory. They want. I, I that, think that's a good metric. That event, yeah. and I and and that's something I don't think you can just casually pass upon. I, I I think it's something that's that's significant. It's important to the event, and that's like if if we're gonna come down to tiebreakers, I think that's a perfectly justifiable tiebreaker to put that ahead of Sebring. Even though I as an event, I like Sebring better. Fair enough. I have a feeling our top three are going to be very similar. With the exception of one. I don't think you have one of... I, I don't think you have the next one that yeah, I have. and I, I know for sure that you don't have the next one that I have, so... Okay. My number three. Yep. You're going to hate this one. It's going to be Monaco. Monaco GP. Yeah, so that's insane to me. Yeah. 
So I put it on there because I felt that there needed to be an F1 race. And well, actually, there doesn't need to be an F1 race. But Monaco is the only F1 race that has been on the calendar for such a long time. It's such a big deal. And I think it's, I think it's a great race, regardless of if the race is boring or not. And so I think of it as a major. And it sort of coincides with races like the Indy 500, just because it falls on the same day usually now. And I think uh, it falls in the shadow of the Indy 500 a little bit. But I still think it has to be. If that's not a major, it's like, I'm, I don't know. You'd have to define it differently, you know? So I'm curious what so do, you did for number three. I do have Monaco in my top ten. Okay. Barely. I can't think of what your, your three is going to be then. Oh, it'll make sense once you, once I say it. Okay. But the, the, my issue with Monaco being up that high is that the reason, one of the biggest reasons that Monaco is that important is because they attached it to, like, it was a big deal because it was unique back in the day. It's no longer unique. There's enough street circuits. There's enough chaos in the in the calendar. There's nothing really that special about Monaco other than it's old and it's been there forever. It's sort of like Monza. Monza's not that great of a track. Nobody really likes watching it that much, but there's a lot of history with it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So if you're going to pick a race off the F1 calendar, I'm not sure I give a damn whether it's Monza or Monaco. If you want to say Monaco, I'm not going to argue with you. If you say, if you come up to me, you say Monza, then I'm like, okay, that's fine too. I don't really care. So at that point, if a series doesn't have a definitive single race that you can point to and go, that absolutely has to be a major. Mm -hmm. It's not a major. I get that Formula One's our premier motorsport, but that doesn't entitle that motorsport to having a major in the series. No, I agree. That's why I I corrected myself on that because I agree. I think that's true, but I still think Monaco has its place. I don't think Monaco does because when you, you made the statement of it's regularly overshadowed by Indy 500 because Indy 500 is a significantly better race year in and year out. And Monaco attached itself to this weekend to be a part of the race hype for this weekend. Why do you say that? Because I don't think if Monaco was on its own weekend every year, if it was just a generic non-Memorial Day type race, especially for the United States, it's not really going to matter that much. Like, it's going to be, okay, it's Monaco. We're going back to Monaco again, but it will fall under the same category as Monza, as will, um, what the hell am I thinking of? Suzuka, not Suzuka. What's the Japanese track that I'm blanking on with Spoon and... That's uh, Suzuka. It is Suzuka? Yeah. What's the other really small one that I'm thinking of that we used to play? I'm thinking of Sakuba. Sakuba. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, Suzuka. You know, like yeah. these really iconic Formula One tracks that we've raced at for many, many years. Imola, right? Monaco would fall into that category if it wasn't attached to the same weekend as the Indy 500. But because it's attached to the same weekend as Indy 500, it's this is F1's biggest race. This is Indy's biggest race. Look at them together. It's an interesting way to look at it. And I don't, I, there's nothing about Monaco that's special enough to make that a major. Nothing about it at all. I disagree. Okay. I'm surprised you feel that way, though. I, 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 
I understand where you're coming from, but it is a little bit surprising. I so so. What's your number three? The Daytona 500. Interesting. Really interesting. Not because I like this race. Remember, this is not a, a ranking of my top five. So how, how did you how did you year. value significance then? Because the because you said it wasn't necessarily like the most popular or whatever. So how did you value? So like this is a significant incredibly race. incredibly prestigious history. Okay, is it that's very very important. There's okay. no denying that the Daytona 500 has a very prestigious history. Right, okay. it's well documented. It's a significantly popular sport. Every single year, they sell out. Every year. There are 250,000 seats in that stadium. They sell that out. They get ridiculous viewers on television every year to the point where no one else is competing with them. It is the Super Bowl of that particular sport in the biggest country that hosts motorsports. It is a huge motorsport event. Is it my top three favorite motorsport event? Hell no. Hmm. Not at all. But when you actually are trying to sit back and go, what are the proper majors of motorsport? You're going to be really hard-pressed to say that Monaco is a more significant event worldwide than the Daytona 500. I think if you use that metric, you can make an argument for that, yeah. And it's the same thing like any of the other ones that we listed off. I mean, Isle of Man TT, you go worldwide. How many people are watching the Isle of Man TT versus the Daytona 500? I mean, n- nobody. When was the last time you watched the Isle of Man TT? Oh, I, I You're missed a big it. Racing fan. I missed it this year. Exactly. Yeah. Are you? Did, did you miss the Daytona 500? Yes. Maybe. <laughs> okay. But my my point though still stands. It's like it. You're 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 sitting there as a as a just generic, even mild racing fan mm-hmm. worldwide, and the Daytona 500's on. You're like, oh, it's the Daytona 500. I gotta tune it. The Isle of Man TT, you could literally flip through the channels and go, oh, man, all right, whatever. I'll watch French Open or something. Mm-hmm. Like, it just it all of a sudden doesn't matter. Okay. It's it's such a significant worldwide event. So you're sort of basing this off of... So I, I modeled... It's interesting. I feel like we came at this from a very similar perspective, but also different. Because I came at it from a perspective... I used, like, golf as my... Uh, the golf majors as my basis. Okay. But the part that I focused in on was the history, the staying power, the longevity, and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And you seem to have focused in on the impact of the fans and like because people what, who what don't part watch of history and longevity does the Daytona five hundred not possess that the Isle of Man TT or Pikes Peak doesn't. It's just not as long and not as rich as the other ones. I mean the Daytona five hundred started in what the 50s yeah it was like 49 i think but to me i think i mean we're pushing on nearly 100 years and it's the the longevity of the 500 i i but i think i got a good feeling that's going to last a hell of a lot longer than what we're seeing out of the isle of man tt or pike's peak which is it's gone downhill but see I still (laughs) no pun intended. Sorry, (laughs) I don't know. I disagree. I think that the staying power is more significant than viewership. That's that's how I. But that's what I'm saying is I don't think the staying power of of Pikes Peak 
is higher than that of the Daytona 500. But right you're, now. I feel like you're basing that off of popularity and like viewership kind of thing. To some extent, yeah. See, I'm but, not. I'm like. It, I'm but like. But if Pikes Peak that. is just an uh, is just a niche market that's just so happens to be following it, then it's not a major. I mean, what's stopping you from saying Irwindale at, at FD is is not a major of motorsports because it doesn't because, have any history. Well, because the sports new. Yeah. That I'm saying that's how I approached it. I'm saying we approached it from fundamentally fundamentally different but I, perspectives. I, but I don't. I don't think the amount of years racing. At, at at a particular event is going to be like in in that case then we should just fill the this entire list with formula one races no because they haven't been going on as long as pike's peak yeah when when was the first pike's peak race over 100 years ago the first formula one one races were are now over 100 years old yeah but they don't race at any of those tracks anymore they race at a handful of them they're not i mean like no. Those those weren't even Formula One races. Those were Grand Prix races. Well, uh, yeah, okay. So now you're, but Grand Prix also covered IndyCar. You had guys racing in the Indy Five Hundred and at yeah, Monaco yeah, yeah. in the same car. I don't or, know about that actually. Okay, maybe not Monaco, but you understand what I'm saying. Like there was a, there was a cross. There was a little bit of crossover. Yeah, yeah. I just I I don't think age is the only reason that you make it a major. Something old does not make it historically relevant. Age is important to something, but... But the fact that it's stuck around after all that time. The oldest man on the planet is no, not no, no, relevant. No, 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 I'm not saying just the because it's old. The most impactful man on the person is... Or the most impactful man on the planet is an important person. No, but in order to stick around that long, it has to be pretty special. Yes, it does, but that doesn't necessarily always make it a... a a significant event. Let me let me put it this way. I don't, this is something I don't think is in either of our top fives, just based off of what we have. Okay. I would imagine in your top 10, you had the Bathurst 12 hours somewhere. Yeah. Okay. The Bathurst 1000 is a more significant event. Yeah. It's a better event. It's a more important event, both to Australians and worldwide every year. Yeah. Would you put the Bathurst 1000 ahead of the, the 12 hour? I think so. Oh, would you really? Okay. Yeah. So I totally expected you to go with the the the, the twelve hour because yeah. the one thousand is the better race. It's more important every year. It's like it's a bigger deal. I I came to that same conclusion because I had the twelve hour on there and I thought, based off what you said previously, that the one thousand is more important. Mm-hmm. Okay. I thought I had you on that moment. Well, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Shall we go to number two? Yeah. I feel like we're getting... Well, like, now we know. Are, yeah, these are the obvious ones. You have Indy 500 at two? Yeah, Indy 500 at two and... Lamont one. Lamont one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's very clear. Um, I actually had a, a decently hard time. I, I came close to, to moving some things around. Like, when I first... Uh, when I made the list, I had Lamont one. Like, that's just the, the easiest thing on the planet. Yeah. Um, So, I, I had Lamont, and then I started thinking about it. I'm like, okay, do I put the Indy 500 at two or is the rolex more important than that that's where i started to get along my parameters and i was like well the rolex is not doesn't carry that significance that the indy does no so it's got to be the indy and then i started thinking about it, i'm like well the rolex is an american event it doesn't carry the same significance that the 500 carries the daytona 500 so what no i'm not gonna put that ahead of it like that's how i kind of came to my list and that's that's how I ended up with Lamar, Indy, Daytona, Rolex, and twelve. Yeah, 
the way I approached it as I feel like I had a lot of. By the way, four American races. Oh yeah, absolutely. I I think people don't realize how important racing was in America. It's pretty much. I mean, I guess I don't want to sound like a like that kind of American right now, but you know, you had in, American races and then you had European races, and they kind of all go together, mm-hmm. you know, or at least that's how we conceptualize it. But but we were doing all sorts of stuff at in like the early 1900s with automobile races. I I think there's also something. So what, something I was thinking about as I was going through it, it's like because I. The, one of the easiest ways to come up with this list is to is to start thinking of the significant tracks worldwide, right? Like where, what are the most important tracks, right? Uh-huh. So because it has like, to be a significant. Laguna Seca is a yeah. significant track, but it doesn't have a long enough history. But it doesn't have like a race attached to it. Exactly. Yeah. Spa does. I had spa. On the there. problem is spa is significantly different than what spa started as. Yes. If Spa had changed in the same way that Sebring has changed, which very minor changes here and there, little touches here and there, then we could sit back and go, yeah, Spa belongs on that list very easily. Mm-hmm. No question that. Same thing with Monza. If all of a sudden we're like, okay, yeah, we're incorporating this abandoned oval a little bit more. Yeah, if it's stuck to what it originally was. Yeah. Yeah. Then then you can see that and go, yeah, yeah, Okay. That's a more historical event, but what Europe seemingly did over and over again was abandon what made their tracks iconic. Now, granted, those are the most boring parts of the track, but that length, that challenge, what the uh, everything that was that was brought in by what that design was, that's that's what made that track so char- like provided it with so much character and then therefore could have provided it with the history that we're now using Sebring and Rolex with because nobody's sitting back and saying that the Rolex 24 hour is as good of a track as Spa. No. But, but I don't I don't think that's <clears throat> See the interesting part about this is not necessarily the choices I think it's the criteria. Mm-hmm. Because the criteria is what dictates the choices obviously. But the way I went through mine cuz I had I'm sure a lot of similar races to you. Uh, you know, I had Spa on there. I had 24 hours of Nurburgring, that kind of thing. Because originally I thought, okay, what are like the major races that I would watch throughout the year that I would tune into regardless of what was going on? Mm-hmm. And that's how I came up with my initial list. That's actually looking at my list now. That's with the exception of Monaco being where it's located on mine. That's pretty much exactly how I would yeah watch my list. Yeah. So... That's how I approached it initially, and then I looked at it and I said, "Okay, which races separate themselves from the others?" And the conclusion I came to, and the reason I didn't have, because originally I had Sebring and Daytona above Pikes Peak for that exact reason. And you didn't have either of those on your list. Which, oh yeah, exactly. They were before though. And so, but the problem is, I looked at it and I thought, Sebring is a significant race. And has been for a while. It gets a lot of viewership, etc. But on the face of it, really, it's just... It's another endurance race, right? But it's not like Le Mans. Le Mans is a really big deal. Le Mans has been going on since, I think, 1923. Obviously, this year is the centenary. So, hence, 1923. But 
it's just more significant in that way. And Sebring, while it's really cool, it's like, okay, it doesn't compare to Lamal. And then I was like, okay, Indy has to be on there. You know, again, over 100 years, still running the same track, basically. It's not bricks anymore because that was never going to work. But, <laughs> uh, you know, it's still pretty I mean, the much... Fi- the, the Daytona 500 is not on the beach anymore either. So Yeah, exactly. But, uh, you know, so it's like, okay, that has to be on there. And so I looked at those and I was like, what do these have? They have a rich history that extends what beyond 100 years, and it's relatively the same. And so then I realized a pattern uh, from those two races and then into the third with Monaco, same thing with Monaco. And the circuit itself is basically unchanged other than chicanes and things and just the passage of time, Mm -hmm. you know. And so I looked at that and I go, okay, well, my top three have these traits. And I looked at what else had those traits, and that's how I came up with Pikes Peak and the Isle of Man TT. I understand where you're coming from, and I think all those points are valid. I still think, and maybe it's just because I like history stuff, and it's just that perspective I chose, uh, or I chose how to look at it with that perspective, but that's how I separated those races from the rest, because they don't have those traits. For example, because I had the Daytona 500 on there when it was 10, mm-hmm. and I and I thought about it, and I was like, okay, significant, extremely significant, started on the beach, now it's the tri-oval, and I was like... It's old, but it's not that old. I guess I the, my my. I, I was trying to separate them. That's so that's what, how it happened. Yeah, and, and the thing is, is like part of in a really brief, non well thought out way of sort of describing how I came to the conclusions is at the end of the day, let's say you're sitting at a bar fifty years from now, right? If you say I'm a Monaco Grand Prix winner. Somebody's going to go, oh, Monica, right? Yeah. You're a Daytona 500 winner. It's a big deal. Yeah. Somebody knows you won the Daytona 500, right? They understand what the hell that is. Yeah. You say I'm a Pikes Peak winner? Nobody gives a damn. I I understand. I I understand. It doesn't doesn't necessarily diminish what they've accomplished in doing by climbing the hill. Like, that may very well be the most difficult thing achievement in motorsports and in that sense that's incredible also i totally missed a joke i intended to do it with lamar i was going to say like the, the true french race and say that the tour de france oh. uh, <laughs> but miss miss that opportunity to, to make funny um something i think that would be at least worthy of of our time i so i have like i said i have top 10 so at six i had the isle of man tt so just yeah, outside just of outside. my top five yeah. Um, I had so why, why did it just make it outside for the reasons you mentioned? Only because the others are more significant. Nobody, like nobody, it, like in terms it, of like the victory, people knowing the about significance it. Of, around the event, the history, like it's just a bigger deal. Okay, is, is like the easiest way to say it. Okay, it, like it sounds arrogant and whatever. That's fine, but it, at the end of the day, it's a bigger deal to win the Daytona 500 or the Rolex 24 Hour than it is to win the Isle of Man TT. Maybe not for your particular sport, mm-hmm. but that's like saying, okay, it's a bigger deal for me to win the softball national championship than it is for me to win the Super Bowl in the NFL. It's like, yeah, but if you won the Super Bowl in the NFL, you like you're a bigger deal. Like, yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, I understand. So that's where that's kind of the, the logic behind that one uh i had the bothurst 1000 at seven i had the nurburgring 24 hour at uh yeah. at eight or at, yeah at eight 
And then I had Monaco behind that because I just I had to come up with eight and nine or eight, or nine and ten rather, because um, like I said, I thought we were going to ten. Yeah. So to come up with nine and ten, I couldn't think of another race more significant than Monaco. But I mean, it's it's really it's just it is at the end of the day just another race for Formula One. We make it into a big deal because it's associated with the same weekend as as the Indy Five Hundred, and it's I have and to it's say Formula though, it One's is a big race. deal for Formula One. So it wouldn't, but it it's not because it has no no significant impact on the World Championship. It has no more viewership than any other normal F one race. Like it, has, it maybe has more than like Baku or or Hungaro Ring, but it's not it's not like significantly outpacing Spa or Coda or. I would bet it does. It it doesn't. It, I'm curious it, to see the numbers. It, I would like, bet it does. It there it is. I would. Last I had seen, it was the biggest race on the F1 calendar, but mm-hmm. but but not by a significant margin. It's not the Indy 500. It's not the Daytona 500 where it's like like the okay, gap. You're clearly saying. Yeah. that's the race, yeah. right? Yeah. Like you you can't say that with Formula One. Okay. And the thing is. Every time I thought about a Formula One race, I went, "What's the thing about Formula One? What what separates Formula One from the rest of the world? What what is it that when you win, what do you really want? You want a world championship. I don't give a damn about the single race. It doesn't matter. That one race doesn't matter because you can win a world championship without Monaco. Hmm. You, I guess you could probably win." the world championship in WEC without Lamar, but you're going to have a really hard time doing so because the point values behind it. Yeah. Which I actually kind of think is silly, but yeah. Anyway. Uh, so I had Monaco at nine and then I had Dakar at 10. I think Dakar is, is valuable. The only reason I knocked Dakar down further, if Dakar was still being raced from France to Africa. Yeah. It's totally then, different now. Then I would, I would probably have it. I might have it in my top five. It'd be close. Uh, but with it changing so significantly back in whatever it was, 2007. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't... Seven. Yeah, it wasn't I like mean, an arbitrary thing either. They moved like the continent. For, yeah, but it was for, like, legit reasons because it was, you know... Because of political violence. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, it, they didn't just go, well, let's change the track. Yeah. You know, so yeah. that's fair enough, but it does kind of take away from the event. It it does. It, do, it Like, it doesn't take away from the difficulty of the event, but it does take away from the, the historical significance of it. So yeah. that's that's sort of how I rounded out my top 10. I was, in, I was amazed at how, like, initially your first thought is, man, 10's not going to be enough. And then you start to go through it and you go, 10 is way too many. Yeah, I, I had the same thing. Because, I, like I said, I, I went through and, you know, I had like 10 or 11 or 12, and I was like, okay. It, there can't be 12. <laughs> a, a That's good, too many. A good major list should be comprised of, oh, I have to leave that off. Whether yeah. it's like, you maybe you're talking about your top five players of any given sport, right? Mm-hmm. You go, oh, but I could make an argument for this guy, right? Yeah. If you're not making an argument for 10, and it's just like, well, I got, I guess I'll put that in, then your list is too big. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. The only ones I had uh, initially that you haven't listed so far uh, are is the Monte Carlo Rally and the Finnish Rally. I thought about those, but neither of them jumped out to me as majors because when was I? I again, this is anecdotal, but when was the last time you watched those? 
we are. I mean, big we kind of can't watch them because I don't even think it's broadcasted here. We're also huge motorsport fans. Yeah, like so if we could find a way. But my point is, if we aren't watching them, who the hell is? Europeans. <laughs> but that's what like. Yeah. You're. It it it's it doesn't not, transcend. You're, you're saying borders. It, yeah, it's, yeah. It's mm-hmm. not. It's not a significant enough event. If all of a sudden, like your biggest American motorsports fans are not tuned into it, or can't tune into it, then it doesn't matter. Maybe it has historical relevant or uh, relevance, and and that's important. That's great, and we can appreciate that. I wonder, but but like. Europeans could look back and look at some of the like Can Am cars and stuff like that and be like, oh, that or some of the crazy Trans Am cars that we had. And wow, those were really cool, right? Those had some historical relevance. Were they able to watch any of it? Hell no. And guess what? It wasn't important. I wonder what the crossover is with events like Indy and the Daytona 500 with Europeans is. I would imagine it's pretty high, only be, uh, and and I use the same logic as like the Super Bowl gets such mm. significant viewership because at the end of the, the at the end of the day, worldwide people watch American things. Mm. If it wasn't American, then they probably wouldn't watch very much of it. Sort of like the it sounds arrogant. Like I get that it like it's it's yeah. very nationalistic. But at the end of the day, we we do produce a product that a lot of people want to watch. And both of those events are very, very important. I mean, f- you're watching a Formula One race, supposedly the premier Formula One race, and they're advertising the Indy 500. That's a big deal. It's not like they're advertising Barber every weekend. Yeah, that's you know, true. It, it, like, that's an important event. Yeah. I'd be curious if anybody has, if we can find those numbers, what they would be. The viewership? Like from Europe? Because I'd imagine, like for I'm sure, Le- it's on there for the mall. There's got to be tons of people. From- I mean, you had f- you s- you said last week we had five million viewers for yeah. the for the Indy 500. That's a yeah. huge event. Yeah, huge. Mm-hmm. Those those numbers are not casual numbers. No, like a a big television market, like giant television market for like nightly news, is one and a half to two million viewers. That's, that's a crazy. big that's a big market yeah. Yeah. for nightly news. Yeah. So for IndyCar to just casually go, oh yeah, we'll, we'll just go two and a half times more than that. Okay. I'm surprised we don't have Indy 500 commercials like Super Bowl commercials. I think that's just a thing with Super Bowl. Yeah, just became a thing. It, yeah. yeah, it's like okay, we got to give the wives something to watch because all <laughs> the husbands are watching the game. <laughs> Which at this point, the game I could get on. <laughs> it's not even a game anymore. Nobody watches the damn game because it's all pageantry. That's funny. All right, we're getting a little long here. I'm going to call it. Anything else you want to add? No. I, th- I think it's interesting the, the way the, the list panned out. I, I'm not surprised by your list, and I don't. I can't imagine you're surprised by mine. I'm no, just... I, I knew you weren't going to have Monaco for sure. And I. it was interesting to, like I said. I was surprised by you having Pikes Peak so high. I was even more surprised by the fact that you didn't have either the Rolex or the 12-hour on there. Yeah, and it's interesting because I... I thought that's what it was going to be, and I shifted it. And I don't know if I'm biased because I, you know, I've spent a bunch of time talking to Andrew about it and learning about it, so it's like fresh in my mind. Yeah, which could be, but um, but yeah, we've already gone over it, so I don't. Oh, it's it's a cool event. Yeah, like I said, I I and I think it's a fair comparable. It's 
pretty much Goodwood. It like I, I see what you're there's saying. There's a lot more historical significance with Pikes Peak than there's with Goodwood. Well, that and Goodwood's not really a race, whereas Pikes Peak's like a legit competition still, to so. some extent. Well, like in that, it's, it's a it's a legit competition in how fast can you go up the hill, but there doesn't seem to be any like. It's not like well, what I'm saying is like Goodwood is really just a fun event, you know. That's the main thing. It's just a really, really cool event. Yes. Yeah. It and Pikes Peak is. It's really hard to say this without sounding diminishing against it because I that's not my intention. But Pikes Peak is just a fun event, but it's a bunch of guys that take it super, super seriously. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Whereas, like. Most of the other things that we listed are, okay, no, that's an actual race series type of thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and I think... But as a one-off event, it is incredibly historically relevant as far as motorsport is concerned. I, yeah. I like, it def- I, I came close to putting it in my top 10. The only reason I didn't is just because... There, it has no it, it's, following at all. Nothing. Yeah. Which is, I think it's a shame. And it makes me wonder. So, like, how, you know, it. I look I look at Pikes Peak the same way I look at some of the greatest golf courses throughout the world, right? Yeah. There are so many golf courses on this planet that are so much better than what the tour plays year in and year out. But they do not get, like, think of the Memorial, right? Huge Jack Nicholas course in Talking Ohio. about Bay Hill? Or no. I, Bay Hill's a good example, too. Okay. That's fine. So Bay Hill, big event, right? You you host the Arnold Palmer Invitational. Bay Hill is a really, really big course. Everybody knows about it. Is it the best course on tour? Hell no. Is it the best course in the United States? Absolutely not. <laughs> and could they host this event at a different course that would be so much better year in and year out for them to play this event at? Yes. But they don't. What's the significance of the event? That it's at the same course. It's a good enough course. Like it's Bay Hill's a good course, don't get me wrong. But it's not like there are quality things elsewhere. So the way I look at it is like there's a course on Long Island called the National. Incredibly beautiful course. Really old. Like you you would look at it and go, goodness, like what how is there not a major here? How is there not like it tour events every year? What what are we not doing here? That's Pikes Peak. Bay Hill is the Daytona 500. Interesting. So it's like, it's good enough. It works, right? Guess what it carries? A huge audience, a huge following, and everybody wants to pay attention to it. If you host a generic-ass tour event at Pikes Peak, it's it's just, that's a cool course. Yeah. I think I'm just looking. So I just, I have a hard time putting that as a major. Yeah. I'm looking more into like, the actual makeup of the event instead of the overall. Maybe I took major too seriously. No, no, no. I, I, it's literally a thought experiment. That's what makes it interesting. I, right. I agree. I just, I just wonder if maybe I should have maybe. Okay. So next week let's do our top five motorsports events every year to watch. Maybe we let's, let's nail it down. Let's say, well, we'll actually, you define it. Yeah, I think, lay, lay I think to watch. I think that's the right to thing watch? to do. Yeah, okay. like, what are you, not even necessarily to watch, because, you know, it's like, is is Le Mans really the best motorsport to 
motorsport event to watch every year? See, that's a really philosophical question. Yeah. But you understand what I'm saying. It's like, is that the one you want to watch every year? Hell yeah. Yeah. Is it the best one to watch every year? Maybe not. So, hmm. I think my results will be skewed, but I think we should do that and see how it compares to this. Okay. So our what we're saying is our top five... Our top five races of the year that were just about it. Gotta watch it. Yeah. At least you. At I least can tell to... you right now, Daytona Five Hundred is not on the oh, list. Oh yeah, just not even on the radar. Yeah, let's do that. Okay, all right, I'm good for it. And then, like, I I know I called on our listeners last week or two weeks ago, whatever, to do it. But seriously, I want to see some like send us a message via the email or or DM on social media, whatever. Yeah. I I'm curious what people have as their top five for majors and then their top five for what they want to watch yeah i wonder if that would be different for example like like golf which i sort of based my uh the idea of majors on would it be oh geez my mic's all goofed sorry i don't even know how i did that my bad (laughs) (laughs) um that's much better isn't it wow yeah uh they can suddenly hear you (laughs) But no, I wonder if how that would compare. You know, would everybody say that the Masters is the best golf event of the year? I mean, obviously, it's a pretty good one. But or would people be like, oh, I don't really care. I'd rather watch. Like, I think that one is, like, more important, but I'd rather watch the players. Well, I, I think part of what makes golf different from, from motorsport in that particular thing is that the event itself. So, like, if you had a U.S. Open for motorsport, that just bounced around from the greatest U.S. tracks, that would be really cool. That's hmm. like that's actually an interesting direction ahead. Yeah, because without a doubt, the Masters is the best golf event every year. Okay, it's also the best golf course every year. But it is is it the Le Mans of golf tournaments? Oh, it's better. Like, you, it, do you see what I'm saying? It's it's even more important. Like it 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 is. No but, is, no, but Le Mans is important and interesting, but it might not necessarily be the best to watch. Yeah. Or the best, so, or the, like the most interesting. Yes. The Masters is the best, the most important, and the easiest to watch. Like, it, hmm. it is all of the above. It may very well be the greatest sporting event on the planet, year it, in and year out. It'd it's be, a hard argument to make, like, that, that, that it is not definitively the most important thing in its sport. It'd be really interesting to do like a case study on it to figure out why that is the case. But you you do bring up something else that we should talk about. Maybe we postpone it for the you know the next week's proposition. But to have okay, so if you were going to create the four majors for motorsport, same way you do for tennis, right? Like tennis yeah, has to. Yeah. They got the Australian Open, the French Open, whatever. Yeah. Like if you did that for motorsport, where are you going? And you need one static one because you got Wimbledon that never moves, right? You got Augusta National, mm. never moves. Hmm. So what's the one that never moves? Le Mans. Yeah, it's got to okay, be. We got that done. Yeah. Now what? Now what's your U.S. Open track for this year? What's the first place you take the see, U.S. Open for motorsport? That's what's a the really... first place you take yeah. the Open Championship? So That should be a thing. Man, would that be cool. Formula One should do that. I guess they kind of go to, but see, 
Is, I don't it, think is form- it just an exercise in marketing, though? Like, just because... Because we go to Coda, right? Yeah. What if you labeled that the U.S. Open? Does it become the U.S. Open? Or the U.S. Championship? It, or whatever it, be, it would but, be? But the coolest thing about something... Like, like what like, elevates it? The, the coolest thing for... Especially for endurance racing, because it's so popular in the United States, is... You could have the U.S. Open at Coda. Then the next year, you could have it at Road America. Then the next year, you could have it at Watkins Glen. Then the next year, you could have it at... Like, Think you could you could go golf full golf with this, yeah, and it would be so interesting. The hard part would be going to Europe. Like, okay, do you call it the the just like every other Euro- Grand Prix race? <laughs> yeah, the Grand Prix Championship, maybe. Like, you'd have to come up with a clever name, but like, okay, you go to Spa one year, and then you go to like this is this is really what IMSA and WEC should merge and do. Yeah, just do the big races. Screw the championship. And then you don't necessarily have to go to Spa every year. I understand that that's an opportunity, but that's what adds to the allure of some of these tracks. That's what adds to this, like the significance. It's like, oh, oh, we're going to Oakmont See, this year. I think that's what the WEC tried to do once it became the WEC, because they really don't have a lot of races. They don't. You know, I think there's like five, there's six races, I think, but they they don't have the significance I think they need. You know, like they're meaningless races. They really are. Like Portimao is like, what? What is this? You know, it's just a race at Portimao. Yeah, there was nothing behind it. Um, but it's like, I think the question then becomes like, why I mentioned like it'd be interesting to do a case study on like the Masters to see if like is is there a formula that you could take and just apply it to something, or does it is there a prerequisite of something else? Yeah, I just like can you create a new major in golf? No. No, because you you've tried to with the or like the players, yeah, exactly. Yeah. The players has has done everything it possibly can. It's at the same location every year. It is maybe the toughest test of golf year in and year out. Like it is a ridiculously hard course to play. It is immaculately maintained. Like they do everything right to become a major, and they're not. Hmm. It is definitely the fifth most important tournament to win every year. But it's not a major. Interesting. I just, I, I don't know. I feel like I feel like racing is missing something, but I also don't know. Like, can you really sit back and say that you have the four majors of motorsport and Formula One's not involved, and IndyCar's not involved? Like, you almost need like that's the the nice thing. That's that's the problem. Is there's different like genres, you know? Hundred percent. Yeah. Like, I mean, does, you don't... does does rally belong on that? Maybe. Maybe not. I don't know. Yeah, you, you can't have one car that does it all. Do you have to have the karting championship on there? You know, does that still count? <laughs> yeah, right. I'm sure there's a really big kart race that's a big deal, but like, oh, yeah. it's, yeah, it's a course. kart race, you know, does that... Right. It's an interesting idea. It is. I, and it, But it would be cool, like, even if racing, especially endurance racing, I think it would be the right way to do it. Like, if... Then again, like, if you do the U.S. Open, maybe you bounce back and forth between the Rolex and the 12 hour every year and whoever wins one of those two, but you're not going to not race one of those every year. Yeah. It, it's too settled. I agree. It'd be cool though. I'd like, I'd like to see it. I, I think it, I have to say that I think I would prefer less races in a season to more races in which series. Cause it, entirely depends like imsa i would like to see more races oh really 
IndyCar, I might like to see more races. Like, they actually don't have enough. I would rather see... Like, IndyCar, IndyCar is actually kind of low on races. Have you ever looked at the calendar? There's, yeah. like, 12 there's like, races. No, there's, like, 20, I think. I think there's, like, 20. Okay. I mean, Formula One, there's, like, over 20 now. Yeah, Formula One is a lot. There's plenty. Um, I, I have never sat back and said we need more Formula One races. No. Uh, IMSA has less than Indy, and then, like I said, WEC has, like, six. I, and I like the WEC format of only having, like, six races because each race is a big deal. But then, like I said, like, Portimao is just like, eh, okay, there's a race at Portimao. There's, like, really nothing attached to it. There's nothing that makes it unique. I think uniqueness has to be a trait if something is going to be significant. It cannot just be just like every other race, you know? Like, the 12 hours of Sebring, wh- what is like the 12 hours of Sebring? There's nothing. Yeah, exactly. There's nothing like the 24 hours of Daytona. Right. You know, whereas they try to do these, like, six-hour races, and it's like, oh, six-hour race at Port Mouse, six-hour race at Fuji, and you're like, okay, it's just it's just like a filler race. Yeah, exactly. Why, why they not, all feel like it. But why not do a 17-hour race but at doesn't, Fuji? But doesn't the entire WEC race, or the, the entire WEC calendar feel like a filler race for the for Le Mans? It's it's all an excuse, so we have a championship. Yes, I, yes, but I don't think it has to be that way. It doesn't have to be. But that's, that's how they do it. By yeah. the way, the IndyCar only has seventeen races. Seventeen, and they have three at IM at IMS. They have two at Iowa. Yeah, they do like that double thing. Yeah, and that's it for repeats. Okay. No, they have two at Laguna Seca as well. <laughs> so they out of set. Do they set, really? Yeah, I think that's what I just saw. That's weird. So out of, out of 17, they have five different races that repeat. Yeah. Hmm. So, not enough. And you get, like, that's the thing. is like IndyCar, if you're not racing at Sonoma, you're not racing at Thunder Hill, you're not racing at, what? like, what are you doing? Watkins Glen's not on the calendar this year. Is it not? No. That's lame. I don't. Let me double check before I make an ass of myself, but. That would be really lame. Yeah, like, there's no there's no Watkins Glen. Yeah, that's lame. At least IMSA goes to Watkins Glen. They have two two races at IMS Road Course, which makes no sense to me Agreed. whatsoever. Agreed. Very strange. They do have Mid-Ohio, which is good on them, but there's no Lime Rock. They really need to go to Road Atlanta. Just yeah, there's saying. no Road Atlanta. It's like a must. Hey, like, there's there's just so many missed opportunities, as far as I'm concerned. Why, why are they not at... It, why are they not on the the Daytona road course? I get not the oval because they don't want to embarrass NASCAR. I get it, <laughs> but also, but like, who would be surprised by that? I, I've Indy never, cars. I've like, never understood <laughs> that. Everybody understands just how much faster the Indy car is than yeah. the, than the NASCAR. That's, that's nobody. New. Nobody would be surprised by that. They should be at. They should be at Sebring. Yeah, they they already test there. There's no reason they, they can't. They run. They don't do the super bumpy part of Sebring, but I think they could. Maybe. It'd be fun to see. It's it's just to me it's like it's a very half assed calendar. Like if it if there's any mistake that IndyCar is making this year, it's that the calendar is really weak. I think it's a corporate it calendar. It's like what makes sense and what's practical. I don't think it's like well, designed to be and, like and the, the coolest like, calendar. So you have you have the calendar, right? And it covers March, April, all of May is the indie anyway. And then you have two races in June. July finally starts to ramp up, sort of, because you end up getting two races at Iowa. 
which it, it's like what so you you have six months out of the year that the race is happening and across pretty much every month and and i say six months loosely because march 5th is saint pete and then you don't have another race in march so really you're you're spanning this across five months and it's yeah it's just half-assed yeah it could be better for sure it could be a lot better and there's so many street circuits and it's just i hate street circuits <laughs> can we just why are there not more road courses why like walk well, why Slam, aren't there just Lime not Rock, better road america yeah there there should be Sonoma, stops there that are thunder just Hill. automatic well thunder hill i don't know thunder hill's a great track for indycar though i don't know run it man okay just run it all right like i, I, I don't know. it's it, i could go on yeah all right i'm gonna cut it off because we're over two hours now no pretty sure um we are yeah <laughs> it was an interesting conversation and uh we'll have to come back with the uh, next week's top five of what we would watch which would be interesting to see yeah. how it compares yeah, your your top five favorite events. Yeah. Um, all right. So uh, if you made it this far, props to you. <laughs> thanks for listening. Uh, if you want to follow us on social media, it is Motorsports in Focus on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Otherwise, we'll see you next week. Thanks. <laughs>